Welcome to Diminishing Returns. It's the second part of our review of the year. If you haven't listened to last week's episode, you probably should, because that's the first part of this review of the year. Not that it really matters, because we're talking about totally different films. But there is the first half of a quiz that we'll be concluding now. So, <laughs> so my name is Alan, and please welcome to this perfectly good intro, Sol. Perfectly good intro? And... <laughs> Debatable. And, and of course... The uh, guest who is the best, it's Calvin Dyson. Hello, thank you for having me back. Thanks for coming back. Just to uh, just to get right in there up front, uh, to reiterate the scores from last week's quiz, <laughs> Calvin left the game on six points, Alan was on eight, so Calvin's got a bit of catching up to do. And it's a music quiz, film music mm. quiz, which I'm notoriously terrible at, so... Yeah, so will Calvin beat Alan? Will he, will he come back from that? lead that alan's got over him well mm-hmm. keep listening and you'll find out well we're both at disadvantages alan because you're not good with music and i'm not good with new films so this is <laughs> it's like 2020 i, I don't see things yes yeah, so in in this episode we will be looking at the second half of 2020 looking at the films that were released therein uh mm. and when i say released obviously to streaming services been odd yeah yes half of last week's episode dealt with that period of time before the coronavirus pandemic had really disrupted our day-to-day lives and closed cinemas whereas we're we're squarely into um socially distant <laughs> films not coming out era now with part two but we've still got about half a dozen films to talk about uh that yeah. we we led up to in some episodes now the way this is structured uh we will be using some previously recorded material because on our Patreon service, which is only $1 a month at patreon.com forward slash dim returns, one of the bonus uh, content things you get there are reviews of new releases, uh, where Sol and I usually, sometimes with a guest, will sit down and, and do a, a slightly quicker capsule review of a film. Sometimes it goes long and we do a full-blown episode like we did with Tenet, and it just goes out on the Patreon but basically, we have chopped those down. I say we. Sol has chopped those down into nice little 10-minute chunks. So you're just getting the pure highlights of what we thought of the film. And we're going to use them today to give you a review rather than just talk about them again. The film we watched six months ago. That's going to be the more accurate thing because uh, we talked about it much closer to the time. So we're going to be doing some of that. But there are also some films here that we haven't talked about before. So we're going to get a chance to talk about them. I don't suppose either of you saw the sequel to Train to Busan, Peninsula? No. Well, Sol, we did a minute about this after you'd seen it. I hadn't seen it at that point, but I've seen it yes. now. I just watched it the other day. Oh, have you? Yes. Oh, cool. Well, at the time, um, I saw the film via an advanced screener oh, yeah. that I was privy to, you know, for legitimate professional reasons. Insider. I did a little advanced uh, review on our on our patreon and you hadn't seen it so um i suppose we'll hear a little edit of that now if we must (laughs) so you've seen it i have not seen it you've seen it because you're special uh so yeah it's not out in the uk for another month and a week is it a direct sequel no I mean, it depends what you mean by direct. It's it's a same characters, same kind of situation. No, they they basically all die, don't they? I think there's two left alive at the end of the last film. No, they're they're all um, it's all new characters and stuff. And uh, yeah, it's it's set 
four years, I think, after the events of Train to Busan. Mm. So it's moved in real time since 2016. And I don't know if you've uh, watched Land of the Dead yet in preparation for our Day of the Dead episode, Alan, but it's... No, not yet. It's kind of like a Train to Busan, Land of the Dead mashup. It's that kind of post-apocalyptic, bordering on Mad Max, you know, dystopia. Um, What really struck me with the film is it was not what I expected. It felt smaller than Train to Busan. It's mm. It felt like a more intimate, almost lower budget film. And that's insane because it's obviously a much bigger budget. The trailer made it look like this huge extravaganza like action fest. But in reality, it's kind of just... You've got little flashes of fun action, but it's mostly just people in dark corridors and warehouses in post-apocalyptic wasteland, you know? There's a lot more just people Mm -hmm. walking around talking than I expected, and not in a good way, because they're not doing good character development and stuff like that. It's just boring. You know, oh, we're getting ready for the zombie games. We're going to paint a number on this guy's chest and make him run through this thing with other people while zombies chase him for our own entertainment. We're going to bet on him, but we're just going to talk for 15 minutes before it starts to kill time. Right. Most of the action seemed to be about like cars driving Fast and the Furious style rather than, you know, shitloads of zombies pouring out of doors and into things. It just felt kind of like, why have you made this a sequel to Train to Busan? It's not what people were getting out of that first film, uh, even if they were only getting a very superficial base level of, you know, dumb action movie enjoyment out of that first film. You're not really delivering in the same way. And I found that very odd, because it's the same director. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, it weirdly felt like a more intimate, smaller film. And I think maybe that's because it's so much bigger in scope that they decided to focus in on something smaller for budgetary reasons, or to try and counter how much bigger they were going in terms of making it work, but it doesn't work. The whole film feels very small and nothingy and boring as a result, and it'd be much <laughs> more interesting to kind of watch one person, you know, during the outbreak is kind of what I learned. And it's a shame, because, you know, conceptually... The, you know, the entirety of Korea is overrun and quarantined and these people go on a mission to go back into this place. That's great, you know, simple premise, but that could be brilliant. Um, It also made an issue, it also had an issue which comes up in Land of the Dead, which kind of annoyed me in the, uh, I, we'll be talking about this I'm sure when we do Land of the Dead soon, Alan, but the idea that money is still worth something. Right, yeah. Very prominent in this film. The, the, these people go into uh, South Korea to retrieve millions of whatever the currency is. The subtitles just called it millions of dollars, I think, but I don't think that's accurate. <laughs> and while the rest of the world is functioning as normal from what we can see, they've just chopped Korea out. I, pre- I I would assume that paper money, Korean currency, after the yeah, fall yeah. of Korea, is worthless. <laughs> like, I don't think that has any value. It's not like they're going in to salvage some gold bullion, you know? Mm. So Yeah, something that actually yeah. holds value, yeah. Yeah, so that was annoying. Yeah, and, and weirdly, they, they obviously have their eye on the American market, which is quite interesting. It's Whenever you watch these... Yeah, there's a few... Americans in it, American characters in it. There was a lot of English dialogue spoken in English. Uh, Not a lot, but more than I was expecting for a South Korean film. 
you know, at the start, there are news reports in presumably America with people talking about what's happened to Korea on talk shows and so on, that sort of thing. There's some American soldiers, just a few bits and pieces like that. But yeah, it just felt very odd to... We normally see that the other way round, where Hollywood panders to the Chinese market. So to see South Korea pandering to the American market is sort of like, oh, interesting. Um, And yeah, I don't really have much else to say. There's a character who's a child who's basically never known any, you know, anything different but this post-apocalyptic Mad Max style wasteland. Uh, But they don't really get anything interesting out of it. All the best, most exciting bits are in the trailer. That rat king <laughs> of a zombie, like hundreds of zombies all yeah. kind of tangled together. That's like pretty much what you get in the trailer and done. The bit where they, you know, shine a light on this big glass building and it's just packed full of zombies, like, you know, a jar full of sugar or something, you know, just zombies crammed into every corner. That's pretty much that shot and done. Uh, they get a good bit of use out of the idea that the zombies don't see well at night. The idea is that people have okay. survived by exploiting that running around at night and but makes sense yeah it's it's just it's just a big letdown i mean it's it's not bad <laughs> i was happy to sit through it but as we've established my threshold for zombie entertainment is very low you've uh, oversaturated yourself yeah so i mean i give it and this is an incredibly generous score but i give it a six out of ten it's more like a 5.5 i've rounded up okay <laughs> a generous six yeah so you know if you're not a big zombie person don't worry about it, to be honest. Give it a miss. Sadly. <laughs> the best, the most exciting parts, the, the most entertaining parts were at the start when it kind of shows the outbreak happening before they jump forward four years. And yeah. I'm not convinced that you can't make a really great, exciting film in post-apocalyptic wilderness with zombies, but they just need a different approach. But, you know, I, I'd be interested to see if this franchise continues pumping out entries. I, I feel like it probably will. So it'll be interesting to see where they go with it. Probably a film set back during the initial outbreak again, I would imagine. Yeah. Well, that's what I thought of it. Alan. Yeah, well, I just watched I just watched this the other day and it was pretty unremarkable in the sense that it just felt a fairly by the numbers action sort of thing. Um as in, you know, it didn't do anything particularly interesting. All the emotional beats were very basic. Uh, yeah. and the characters were just sort of perhaps it's a bit harsh to say they're stock characters there's some interesting characters but it, yeah. it didn't win me over and the kind of a reliance on CGI that perhaps just wasn't quite good mm. enough for some of the action scenes and there's a lot of car chasey action scenes which I don't know particularly does anything for me yeah yeah um, I will pick you up on something you said though you you Go moaned on. in our diminished about Peninsula the you know there's the whole thing about oh, the the money the money factor that they're after yeah some money. it's it's very possible I stop paying attention yeah. and miss some well your 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 misapprehension was that they were going that there was some sort of Korean money and you know it wouldn't have any value anymore so what's the point but actually they do specifically show and, and say that it's U S dollars and so it is their ticket out of there you know they're going to use it to oh, get to shit. they're going to get to Hong Kong with right. it right well they they did keep saying dollars in the subtitles but I assumed it was like bad translation and they just called the korean currency dollars so that's me being an idiot yeah well yeah yeah it, it was dollars so that's how it makes sense but yeah okay. it could have just as easily yeah. have been like yeah some gold bars or something didn't it? yeah but it's much harder to transport <laughs> significant amounts of gold it's very heavy <laughs> heavy enough to flatten a golf course i'm led to believe 
What? <laughs> <laughs> Is that a reference to something? I don't know. <laughs> well, I'm glad Calvin appreciates it. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, they they did. They, it was okay, you know. It was. It was. There was some weird bits like with the guy they they capture one of the guys and they throw him into like some sort of death pit thing where but it just that never went anywhere like why they don't try and fight back there's a racking zombie that doesn't do anything and doesn't well i i I agree i think i said i think i said there were a lot of really wasted ideas that were quite nice little tangents but then they just don't develop at all (laughs) they're like introduced and gone from what i remember yeah yeah like some of the characters are okay that they they definitely seem to really want to hit some melodramatic points and you know there's a sort of self-sacrifice hero thing near the end yeah the first film did that too but it was arguably far more effective yeah i mean i i gave the film a six out of ten which i acknowledged was incredibly generous at the time that Mm. that is my pro zombie bias coming (laughs) out there i think i think it's probably more of a five out of ten if i try and be objective about it (laughs) well how how would you rate it i gave it a five okay well, another similar thing happened uh, shortly around this point. I think it was after that episode went out. I also got a copy of uh, Tremors 6, which is called seven. Shrieker Island. Tremors 7, pardon me. Is it 7? Tremors it? 7. No, I think you're right, yeah. Tremors 7, Shrieker Island, which I got to review ahead of time and uh, did another little diminisode for us before it came out. So much the same thing. I told Alan all about it. Alan, I believe you have gone away and watched Tremors 7 now, uh, Shrieker Island. This is more of a throwback to way back when, when we covered the entire Tremors franchise. This is the second film they've released since then. But we like to keep up with it, uh, because I think Tremors is a friend of the show now. (laughs) The the Graboids, uh, Michael Gross. uh, Well, Michael Gross certainly is. Yeah, yeah. but uh, yeah, I, I was interested in watching this anyway, so I thought, oh, I'll watch it in time for this review so we can have a little chat. Um, but yeah, do, have you got a clip of you talking about it before we start? Uh, possibly. I haven't prepared one, but I guess I will go and edit something in here, hopefully. Okay. And if nothing plays now, it's because I couldn't be bothered. Okay. Shrieker Island is basically Tremors riffing on the most dangerous game and i think it's really sad that they didn't just call it tremors the most dangerous game with most in italics that's what i would have called it (laughs) okay as if to say what you thought the most dangerous animal was man it's graboids (laughs) that that should have been the the tagline um so yeah it's it's your standard um uh, rich hunter with a private island shipping graboids off to his island right, yeah, to hunt. Sense. And obviously things go awry and they have to draft Burt Gummer in to save the day. It's all pretty standard stuff, but it's a nice premise, I think. It's more of a core, a solid core concept than the um, previous two have had. It's it's the same creative team again, this Don Michael Paul guy who's directed Tremors 5, 6, and 7. Okay. I, I think it's largely the same people behind the camera. But, uh, noticeably, Travis is absent in this one. Jamie Kennedy that, does okay. not come back for this film. He's too busy. And it's blatantly... Yeah, well, it's blatantly not for 
uh, lack of desire to bring him back on the part of the filmmakers because his character is essentially still in the film, but they've just changed the name to Jimmy <laughs> and added two lines of dialogue. I think one line of dialogue says Travis is in a Mexican jail, and then the <laughs> character goes, don't ask about it. <laughs> Because <laughs> we haven't written anything. <laughs> and then a bit later, someone said, Gummer's like, how did you find me? And, and he's like, oh, Travis uh, gave my boss your details. And he says something like, oh, that turncoat or whatever. So that's pretty much all they did. But other than that, it is the exact same character. So, Alan, you are a producer of Tremors 7. Right. Uh, you failed to secure Jamie Kennedy <laughs> for your film. Okay. But you've got all this Jamie Kennedy money just lying around <laughs> to find a new actor. Who do you hire to fill this new role? Who do I hire? I'll tell you exactly who I'd hire. Go on. Jason Mewes. <laughs> yeah, perfect. That would be fantastic. And if he's not available, then Seth Green. Mm. The problem, well... I think Seth Green's probably a bit too expensive. He <laughs> hasn't got my Jason Mewes money. <laughs> the problem you've got there is that Jason Mewes would be really fresh and something new that the franchise hasn't really had before. Oh, you're saying you want something stale and boring? <laughs> you want something that's exactly the same as Jamie Kennedy, really. Oh, uh, God, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, look, I, I don't want to be too disparaging because I feel that this guy is actually an upgrade. <laughs> he also is less of an improv guy, would be my read. Okay. It's not Jeff Davis. <laughs> it's not Jeff Davis, no, no. <laughs> Why would you get the creator of Teen Wolf in to, <laughs> to play Burt Gummer's son? I don't understand that. <laughs> um, is Matthew Lillard available? <laughs> <laughs> no, but you you are very much in the right territory. He's too dignified now, Matthew Lillard. Now he's got older. There's two people I think are adequate choices for this role in this film, right? Right. Now, the first one I would go for as the producer of this film is Dax Shepard. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. That is it. I know exactly what you mean in terms of yeah, yeah. Um... Jamie Kennedy alike. Yeah, I reckon they went for Dak Shepard and he said no. <laughs> went down to second on the list. John Hayden, Napoleon Dynamite. Uh. That is who That is who is replacing Jamie Kennedy in this film. And like I say, I think he's an upgrade from Jamie Kennedy. Uh, what was he's... the last thing I saw John Hayden in? Hmm. He's not doing it as a comedy role. It's it's a very odd bit of casting insofar as he's kind of just playing it straight. But he's kind of a dweeby, nerdy, yeah, blatantly written as, as Burt Gummer's son, but just, then just yeah. handed to a different actor. Um anyway, Tremors Shrieker Island. I'm just I'm just having a quick look. What was the last thing I saw John Hader in? Just bear with me a second. I'm I'm scrolling down, I've not found anything yet. <laughs> Taking longer than I expected. He's got plenty of work on here. Can't can't say can't say he's not working. Well, yeah, but it's all it's it's all at the level of Tremors Shrieker Island. So okay, the last thing I saw him in was Blades of Glory. That's two thousand and seven. <laughs> that might be the same for me. I'm working my way down. I mean, there isn't even any things here that I thought. Well, you know, I haven't seen that, but it was a big yeah, thing. Yeah, there's not even. He's done a lot of TV, and I've not even seen any of this. And right, the last thing I saw him in was a 2014 episode of How I Met Your Mother. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Yeah, in which he plays a character called Narshal, 
I'm guessing there's a character in the show called Marshall, so I'm guessing there's like a brief dream sequence where they see the show cast with different actors or yeah. something like that. That would be my guess what that is. Judging from that, you know, Napoleon Dynamite 2004, obviously he came out of nowhere. Blades of Glory 2007, that was it. He did, what, four films? Three, four films? Last film I saw him in was um, Surf's Up, if you count that. He was the voice of Chicken Joe. (laughs) So I didn't actually see him in that. And prior to that, it was Blades of Glory. Both of those films came out in 2007. He always struck me as being perfectly capable in those kind of roles, though. Do you think he's an arsehole (laughs) to work with? (laughs) Maybe. Do you think that's what what happened with the career? Mind you, he is working. I I, I don't know. He, he, He... You know, Napoleon Dynamite was um, really a little indie movie, wasn't it? Yeah, but it was such a big hit, and he, like you say, he got he did the likes of Blades of Glory off the back of it. Like if that's not, that was when Will Ferrell yeah. was good, you know, School for Scoundrels that was a big thing. Yeah, I'm not I'm not convinced he's a great comedy improv guy. You know, maybe Will Ferrell hired him off the back yeah. of Napoleon Dynamite, thinking, oh, he's going to be great in our little frat pack. And then they got to set, and he was like, "What's my line? What's my motivation?" And Will Ferrell was yeah, like, well, "This guy's not." Maybe he, I feel like he should have slipped into that poor man's Owen Wilson bracket. Yeah, but that's never going to happen. You've got Luke Wilson. You've got that other Wilson. <laughs> when did when did Luke Wilson overtake Owen Wilson? <laughs> when did that happen? Can we pinpoint the exact moment? Well, I mean, I don't, I don't wish to be glib, but I think it's when he commis- uh, attempted suicide, wasn't it? That was, I think he stepped back from being Owen Wilson fully for a little. Does while he still and, work? Uh, What's he doing? He does. He he did some adverts recently, and he's he's aged pretty badly as well. Oh. I don't know if that hasn't helped. He he's not looking great. I don't know. I I think he's he's doing all right, isn't he, Owen Wilson? He's voicing those Cars movies and stuff. <laughs> so, um, T- Tremors Shrieker Island. Is there anything more to to uh, report, or is it just John Hader and you didn't get past that? Well, so nice premise. There, there's some legitimately, basically, it's the same creative team largely who've done the previous two films, and it feels like they're really settling into a comfortable groove with this one. It felt a lot more uh, assured and and you know just well done um, than the previous two. I thought. Not a lot more, but there there were some legitimately funny jokes in there, I thought, which I don't think I got out of the previous two. There's a nice moment, for example, and this isn't like an incredible gag or anything, but it's just, it's all in the performance and, you know, credit to John Hader. They're being hunted by a graboid and it takes this guy out and someone says, it's picking off the... It, it's picking off the weakest of the pack one by one. It, like it's a tactic, mm. something like the runt of the litter one by one. It's you know classic predatory behaviour. And and John Hader sort of says, "Oh God, I'm next." And <laughs> and like it's that's a really nice little moment that made me laugh. There there's a bit where they the characters watch Burt Gummer's reality TV show that we saw him filming oh, yeah, in yeah, Travis yeah. Five. The one of them just says, like you know, do you remember Alan? There's a bit where there's a rattlesnake, and I think he goes to stomp on it. Right in the opening sequence of that film, well, they're watching that, and someone just says, "Is that a rubber snake?" Which I thought was <laughs> a nice little dig at their own special effects <laughs> from two films ago. Uh, so there's some nice, weird little gags in there. There's some solid tremors, you know, graboid action, but it is largely more of the same. There's not a huge amount to differentiate it. Uh, the tropical island setting was quite a pleasant. Right. What change? What country scenery. gave them the tax breaks to film it in? Then what was the? Uh, 
Well, it it looked very tropical, and there was some nice shots of the sea and everything. But yeah. based on this franchise today, I'm going to guess it was shot in Canada or something, and they just color graded <laughs> Slovenia. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, it, it reeked of Michael Gross only agreed to come back if they were going to film it on a tropical island and he could get a holiday out of it. Uh, shot in Thailand, I've just looked oh, it up. There you go, tropical. I give it a six out of ten. Very that that's very solid for the seventh film in a in a low budget franchise. <laughs> well, that was an interesting uh, interesting opinion there. Well, <laughs> well, I can't really remember what your opinion was, so I'll just go with it. I I mean, I just thought this was. I mean, it, it, it's so much better than it has any right to be, given the circumstances. Yeah. Given it's the seventh film in a B movie franchise, can't be big yeah. budget. I think, but they they do a wonderful job with that money, don't they? They yeah. went and shot in Thailand, so you've just automatically got this great luscious scenery to you know as a backdrop, and yeah, yeah, and not just that though, but the actual content I think is very very solid. I think it's great B movie stuff. I think it, you get all everything you want from just a silly B movie thing. The characters are much more well developed than you would yeah. see in say Transformers, for example. <laughs> like yeah, yeah. Uh, the Michael Gross, so yeah, the Michael Gross character has been through the whole franchise. He's like the glue that holds mm-hmm. all together. They, I think, they really nailed the landing with that in terms of an emotional payoff. Um, yes, I think yeah, they absolutely. they handled it really well. I think you know this guy's seventy two years old or whatever. He's still getting the job done. He looks great, and mm-hmm. uh, he, he still brings a, a charm to this character that is not inherently likable like, i think it, yeah. it is a really oh, nice yeah. balance john hader yeah. i thought was struggling i don't think it's particularly great but you know when you're comparing them to, to jamie, jamie kennedy, kennedy yeah obviously yeah, exactly. he's a lot nicer than that but i'll tell you what i really really like about tremors shrieker island is this is they absolutely nail in terms of what the industry is trying to do in terms of ethnic diversity strong female characters there are there are at least yeah. three different uh, strong female characters, and by that I mean they're different types of strong female character. You know, they're achieving different things. One yeah, of they're different people. Yeah, one of them's more like I can be down with the boys and fight. One of them's you know the brainy one. Yeah, you know all that sort of stuff. One of them's out of Orange is the New Black. That's the one I remember. Oh, is that right? But yeah, all, and all good actors as well. Like for a B movie, there's some very solid acting here. There's a range of, yeah, like I say, ethnic diversity here, which doesn't inform anything. It's just because, well, some actors are not white, and that's fine. They didn't have to be the black character or the Asian one or anything like that. Yeah, and like that's what the industry should be striving for. And fucking Tremors Seven has absolutely nailed it. <laughs> and then remember, if you go back to last week, what I said about the Mulan remake and how there's just yeah. no Chinese names uh, below the line. Have a look at the credits of this. Apart from like Don Michael Paul and like the producer, it's just Thai, all Thai names. Like they've uh, they've just hired local crew because probably because it was cheaper. To be fair, but but that's great because if you're going to go film in Thailand, use local facilities, use local crew. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. that's why they're letting you in. That's why they're giving you the tax breaks to come in or whatever they do. Better for the environment as well, isn't it? I just think Tremors Streaker Island is the exemplar that the industry needs to look at in terms of how to make uh woke films in the 2020s (laughs) and who who could have predicted that (laughs) Hmm. 
I need to see this. And it was entertaining. <laughs> what What did you give it, Alan? I gave it a seven. Hmm. Wow. Which I think basically makes my second favorite one. Maybe maybe yeah. the prequel one would get ahead of it. I don't know. Wow. There you go. Tremors seven. Um. All right. After that, the surprise sequel to Borat came out of nowhere and went straight to Amazon Prime. Mm. Uh, we did a full-length bonus episode on on the sequel, Borat, subsequent movie film, etc. Which, you know, we're calling a tie-in here because we covered the first Borat earlier this year. But that was an accident. <laughs> yeah, we had no idea they were making a Borat sequel. Um, That's so funny. They must have been, we, like, filming it. They were, because in, in the... Um, in the outro for that episode, after like as Alan was editing it, Sasha Baron Cohen was spotted filming something on Twitter. Ah. So Alan put in the outro like, "Oh, by the way, Sasha Baron Cohen's seen filming something. Oh, don't know what it is. Maybe, maybe a new season of Who Is America? Who knows? We'll see." Hmm. Turns out it was Borat too. So anyway, yeah, Calvin, Alan, and myself sat down, had a chat, and here is a truncated 20-minute portion of that bonus episode, because it's a full-length episode, I couldn't get it down to 10 minutes, so you're being treated to 20. We found out Borat had a sequel on the way that had been shot in secret. Here we are, it's come out. Yes. How do you shoot that in secret, though? Because he's in character as Borat, like, fair enough if he's in disguise or something else, he's in character as Borat a lot of the time, meeting people... So it's probably fair to say that they'd come to people and they'd gone, oh, you're Borat. <laughs> what are you doing here? Like, that must have happened. Or... Well, they even do that in the film. They show a bit of that. And I like that they do that. They play into yeah, the character's yeah, did like that, fame yeah. in mm. America. So they have him sort of disguised Borat as a dis- Borat in a disguise, basically, for a good chunk yeah. of it. I love the, the approach they take of, yeah, let's go meta. Let's have Borat have to kind of go undercover with a a load of um, prosthetic makeup and, and, you know, wigs and things on. Um, I think that's great. I, I like the idea of let's give him a sidekick who can pick up some of the slack. And yeah, yes. I think for the rest of it, they just made up the the rest of the film with people who were presumably living under rocks <laughs> in, in 2006. <laughs> but the problem I had with it as a film, I suppose, is that whereas I could watch Borat, uh, the original film, and just kind of take it at face value. When I was watching this throughout, I was just like, right, I need to know the production story <laughs> yes. behind how they did this. Because obviously he didn't just meet this guy in this car park. This has obviously been set up, but then I need to know how they've like found all these people who don't know who he is. And to be fair, there are still plenty of people out there who don't know course, who Borat is. My, my girlfriend, who I watched this with, didn't know who Borat is beyond the kind of vague understanding that there's this character out there. Mm. She said she wouldn't recognise yeah. him. If she is only 14 uh, years old, though, so a bit before her time. What, what do you think I am? Michael Pence? <laughs> no, Rudy Giuliani. <laughs> There's some yeah. Sacha Baron Cohen-level satire for you. But yes, um, I agree, Sol. Uh, I had the same thing. All the way through, I could not mm. disengage. Uh, and uh, I was just like, what's going on here? What's That doesn't feel real enough. What's That doesn't play at all. I must say though, I you know, I I believe it's real. I I believe that Sasha Baron Cohen has, you know, built a career and has enough respect for his his craft, his art form, his uh cinematic concealism, yeah. uh cinema unawareite. That, that's the one I'm going with, guys. <laughs> no, I'm don't, I don't no, no, no. <laughs> cinema unawareite. That's <laughs> 
Yes. Ah, okay. Put, put a pin in that. We'll come back to that. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, I believe he has enough respect for what he's doing and, and what have you that he wouldn't just out and out stage stuff. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, apart from anything else, I believe that these people aren't acting. You know, I, I, I can tell yeah, a, yeah. a a good actor from a, just a, you know mm. an incredulous person. So yeah, and and you know, people people complained. I think back in two thousand and six and two thousand and nine, I think it was when Bruno came out that they were too staged. Some people, but I don't think anything in those films is ever, other than the blatantly scripted scenes between actors. Um, I don't think anything in those films is out and out staged. You know, it, the the fact that Pamela Anderson is in on the joke at the yeah. end of Borat doesn't mean it's staged because no one else is aware that he's about to, you know, throw a sack over her head and try and run off with her. But that's what I mean. You, you kind of, without knowing what's going on with that film, you can kind of piece together. Right. Well, they must have had a chat. Like these guys must have been set up just to come in at this time and blah 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 blah. Whereas with this film, yeah, I couldn't disengage, and it really made it hard for me to enjoy it on a straightforward viewing. I agree. Yeah. But I must say, Alan, I've actually watched this film twice <laughs> already, <laughs> and. Uh, the reason for that is I watched it with my girlfriend. She actually surprisingly <laughs> she talked seemed to get <laughs> <laughs> she seemed to get enough out of it to want to see the first one, which really surprised me. So okay. then I thought, fuck it, let's watch Borat again. I know I just watched it earlier this year for the podcast, but I like Borat. It's it's a fantastic film. So I watched it again, and then having watched that again, I was like, you know what, I want to revisit Borat 2 <laughs> several days after I've watched it just to really take it in and process yeah, right. it and uh, yeah I, I enjoyed it a hell of a lot more on the second viewing kind of knowing what to expect yeah, having right. read a bit about how they procured certain bits and pulled it off I suppose getting my own baggage out of the way really helped for me yeah, I but I imagine that. everyone's going to go into this film with a similar amount of not being able to disengage surely I don't know. Well, Calvin, when was the last time you saw Borat? Oof, uh, oof. Ten years, maybe even more than that. I don't think I've... I think I must have seen it probably once, and I think it was on DVD. So you're coming into this a bit cleaner. How did you mm. take it? Really well, actually. Uh, I didn't have a problem. I mean, I did when I was watching it through. Uh, I was watching it with my partner as well. He was kind of like, he didn't really want to watch it, but it was like, ah, it's Sunday, and what, what else is there? He talked all the way through it. <laughs> well, he didn't actually. He really got into it. Uh, yeah, because he was. Well, it's, it's surprising, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, my, my girlfriend was the same thing. She she seemed to really kind of. She was laughing out loud at it. Yeah, <laughs> more than I was, to be honest. No, likewise, yeah. we we were laughing all the way through it. I, I certainly don't think you need to see the first one to understand this. I guess a general awareness of Borat as a character would help. The probably the biggest laughs for me in this film were all references to the first film and I had to keep explaining. Oh. In fact, I think the biggest laugh in the whole film for me was at the end when he asked the babysitter will you be my new black wife? <laughs> and she just sort of says no, I won't be your new black wife. <laughs> and I just thought like, oh, that's a lovely little nod to the, you know, character who's just being basically out and out ignored from the first film. Uh, Lunel. But this film was struck with the coronavirus pandemic halfway through production and i i think that i mean obviously it shows it, it massively impacts the the plot of the film yeah. but um you know i think it shows in a number of ways and one of which is that she's ultimately not present and that's probably part of that it does feel like 
a lot has been cut out. And of course, that's the nature of these types of films. But in this, it felt like it was missing things. Mm. Well, my my takeaway, my my kind of nutshell review really is that the, the first Borat feels like they filmed hundreds of hours of footage. Yeah. And they whittled it down to, you know, 90 of the funniest minutes yeah. imaginable. Whereas this, to me, feels like they kind of shot two hours of material and had to work with it. <laughs> um, because because there's not, you know, it's hard to trick people who yeah. into being in this film with Borat being so famous. And beyond that, the coronavirus pandemic presumably made it incredibly difficult to... Yeah film things and a lot of the big moments in this film are kind of one shot and done things you know like the trump rally or the mike pence bit. well i think that's that's exactly what i mean it it feels like and they feel frankensteined in the edit to be honest the edit feels far less naturally put together it feels like yeah. there's a lot more awkward bits of dialogue perhaps adr'd in oh, to yeah, yeah, provide yeah, a bridge yeah, yeah. and things like especially that. the end where they're just green screened them into scenes. Oh my god, the end is really Yeah, oh my god. But yeah, what I mean is those those scenes, those things where they've obviously um those things where they've obviously set up a big thing that they're gonna do, and then it kind of fizzles out straight away or or they it's cut you know, it's quite short. It's like, eh, they obviously didn't get much material out of that, you know, obviously. That's exactly it, yeah. and it, it feels a lot more ep- episodic and, and meandering than the first film as a result of that, I think. Because it is just very stop-start, here's a bit, here's a bit. And it, it's never quite as gut-bustingly funny, I guess. Because it's just, it's kind of what Borat did in an average episode of the TV show. It never quite feels like they're taking it to the bigger cinematic heights, mm. apart from a few choice moments. And I don't know if part of that is just because I've, I've seen him do it all before you know like as funny as it is to to have him walk up to a woman in a bakery and ask her to write jews will not replace us on the cake and her not bat an eyelid that's what he's done before with this character and it's not really adding anything new to the fire yeah i there's an a, a not quite the climax of the film but you know one of the big moments at the end he goes up on stage and performs this horrible racist song and the crowd cheer and love it and it's like right well that's that's just the the throw the jew down the well sequence again from tv but mm. not as funny or well put together though i must say i i've had that fucking Obama, what we're gonna do? Inject him with the Wuhan flu song stuck in my head for like a week now. It's... Obama, what we gonna do? Inject him with the Wuhan flu. Inject him with the Wuhan flu. Let's hear it. Doctor Fauci, what we gonna do? Inject him with the Wuhan flu. Inject him with the Wuhan flu. Incredibly catchy for a not particularly good song. I think it's sorely missing director Larry Charles, if I'm completely honest, because we spoke about the cinematic quality that was brought to the first film and just the nice choice of shots and little bits and montages and so on and... That isn't in this film. It's it's you know I don't want to be too mean, but the the guy who's directed it has come from the likes of Nathan for You, which is a you know a good good show, but just directorially speaking, it feels like more of a TV special. Mm. This film, and mm. and I do think they perhaps cut back the scope and <laughs> the budget somewhat 
after realizing it wasn't going to get into cinemas. Um, I, I can't help but feel like some of the green screen towards the end would have been done a lot better if it had gone into cinemas, yeah. but obviously they, they wouldn't have to do that if it weren't for coronavirus in the first place. I think I could do green screen better than that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, never mind, because we have uh, this... Mm, Maria, mm. did you say her name was Maria Bekalova? Maria Bekalova. Uh, who I thought was phenomenal like to be doing what Sasha Baron Cohen is doing and not batting an eyelid some of the situations she puts herself in really mm. impressive to just immerse herself in the character I thought was um yeah quite terrific do you know what I've heard a lot of people singing her praises and then I actually watched it and I don't see anything particularly outstanding like she's does it very well but like not nothing that makes me go oh wow she's very good like like just Whereas I think, you know, Azamat in the first film does jump out as a very mm. big character and 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 someone who's kind of really in, uh, engrossed in that situation. Whereas with her, I don't know, it just felt like an improv comedian kind of doing their thing. You know, it's fine. Yeah, it, it didn't blow me away. Like, how have they possibly... It's, it wasn't like when Christoph Waltz first appeared on screens and it was like, where the fuck has Europe been hiding this guy? It, it was just like, okay, they've gone and found a very competent actor competent i I was just well no she's good she's good i I, you know but nothing about what she was doing like blew me away but then to be honest nothing about sasha baron cohen blew me away in this either you know a lot of what people are responding to is like the fact that you know she had the balls to do the stuff that she did with like rudy giuliani and all that stuff like that does take that's not just you can't just pluck anyone out of some theatre and have them do that and hold their own. And I, I think that's what a lot of the response is about. And I agree with that. I, I Well, I, I agree with that. I think I think that's it. I think that's what people are responding to. And I, I think, you know, there was there was Oscar buzz for the first Borat, the idea that Sasha Baron Cohen might get Oscar nominated for it. And I think that was a mixture of, oh, look, he's got some acting chops and, oh, he's put himself in these mad situations and gone full method. And I think he deserved a nod for the first film. I didn't get that sense from him really no. in this film or from her. Like You I know just... you know what I've just realised, Sol, you're talking about that. I was going to say, there's nothing about what she does in this film, but also this goes to Sasha Baron Cohen as well. There's very little in the way of, oh, I can see them reacting in the situation and responding to something. It, yeah. it, there's so much of it where it's like, okay, they've walked into this room and they've got these things to say. Okay, they might not have a script, but they know what they're going to do, and they're not reacting to the re- to the reactions. You know, they're not responding in the in real time. Yeah. They've got a plan and they go in with it, and that is yeah. not as impressive to me as going in there as an improv character and and just living in that moment. Yeah, I I I think I think she does a remarkable job. I don't think. Anything that she was being asked to do was easy, or uh... and you know, as much as they make these things up on the fly as they go as well, and she was must have been game for so much responding to that. It's uh, yeah, I hope she gets a uh, best supporting nomination. But she's like what you're saying, Calvin, about you know having the balls to go up there and do. It. Well, I don't know. That's just acting. I don't think that te- necessarily is particularly special yeah like you have to be an actor like she's a solid actor but if i'd seen if i'd seen more of her in character like responding to people doing things in the fly coming up with notions then i'd be more impressed of her but even then it's still like well that's what improv comedians do it's like, yeah. you know i i feel like i'm being too down on it like i say i i think it's remarkable they made it at all and i think it's pretty much the best borat film 
we could possibly have hoped for in, in 2020 all things considered i'm really glad that it exists i like that it's there and if i ever go back and watch borat again i can watch this afterwards and hopefully it means there's still life in in sasha baron cohen making these sorts of films in the future if he can do it now then he'll always be able to do it (laughs) and that's kind of nice nice Oh, I was wondering how long that would take. <laughs> Go on then, give us a rating. So, I mean, I, I, so to recap everyone's memory, I gave Borat the first one a 10 out of 10. I gave Bruno a 9 out of 10. Um, when I first watched this film, I gave it a 7 out of 10. But as I say, I, I have since already gone back to it and reevaluated it without all the kind of baggage and bumped that up to an 8 out of 10. I think it's one of the best films of the year so far, and probably will be by the end of 2020, but that speaks to a a lack of content more (laughs) than an insane amount of quality. But no, 8 out of 10, that's that's good. That's so unbelievably high for, like, what I thought I was the most positive one about the (laughs) film on this discussion, what we've just had. That's, uh... Well, look, look, I'm I'm approaching this as a place... uh, That's what I mean. I'm, I'm I'm a... Sasha Baron Cohen mega fan, and mm. therefore I'm I'm going to be more critical when evaluating it in relation to mm. the other stuff that um, yeah. I've seen. I so that's what I mean. I, I feel like I've sound very negative, but I I, I liked it a lot. I, I did. I'm glad it's there. I mean, like, look, I'm I'm completely ambivalent. Not completely ambivalent, but I don't. I've seen the first Bora. I saw Bruno. I saw the Dictator, and that's kind of where my understanding of Oh, the dictator's terrible. Yeah, I remember liking <laughs> it more than Bruno. I remembered really disliking Bruno at the time, but these are not films that I go back to or revisit, or yeah, I don't pay much attention to what his career is. And if this hadn't just been bunged on Amazon Prime during pandemic time, I probably wouldn't have seen it for you know years to come. Um, all that being said, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I had a really great time with it. I maybe my expectations were just set much lower for the experience that I was going to have, but I I laughed along with it. I thought it was funny and charming. A nice father-daughter story going through it. Poked some fun at some silly politicians. It's an 8 out of 10 for me as well, actually. Oh, we met in the middle. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I I disagree. I didn't think it was very good. (laughs) But to say it was totally shit or anything, I just thought it fell flat for most of it. I didn't find it very funny. Um... Even when I could see what they were trying to do, I thought it wasn't as well produced as the first film. Yeah, and all the concepts that they're trying to do were very simplistic and and just taking the easy route. And then, yeah, you know, fair enough, they've managed to cobble something together, but it's cobbled together. Mm. You know, what can you say? Anyway, I gave it five out of ten. Mm. Obama was a traitor. America, he hated her. He belonged inside the jails. <laughs> I ain't lying, it ain't no jokes. Corona is a liberal hoax. Corona is a liberal hoax. Oh, Borat. Oh. So on the Patreon, that's like a full-length bonus episode. Is that what was about an hour long or something? It's unbelievable. Pretty good, isn't it? One dollar a month. Um, I will say, actually, in that bonus episode, I... Um... I mentioned cinema unawareite, <laughs> c- uh, cinematic concealism. Yes. Calvin is confused by it, and I say, just put a pin in that, we'll come back to it. And then we forget to come back to it, because I needed a wee, <gasps> and I had to rush off to urinate. We can come back to it now. So, uh, 
So, uh, Calvin, we've been trying to get this going on diminishing returns. We we want to get like a phrase in the dictionary, and we think the best way to do it is like a film term. Hmm. You know, when they update film stuff in the dictionary every now and then. Oh, okay. Um, like a few years ago when they went through adding every single director's name in the world, and then Ian at the end, like Lynchian, ah. Kubrickian. We we realized right, there's no name for the genre that Sasha Baron Cohen is like doing because mm. there's not many of these films but there's a few of them and it's not just Sasha Baron Cohen there's a few other people doing them and I proposed in an earlier episode that we go with cinematic concealism yes. but, <clears throat> Which but I've like. had second thoughts yeah and what you like more at the time but we decided against because we thought it would be easier to go with the other one was cinema unawareite mm. no cinema unawareite made me laugh that doesn't mean I liked it more <laughs> <laughs> I mean I, I think they're both good <laughs> Calvin which one do you think we should go with which one do you think we should push cinema unawareite I think that's nice <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, if we're trying to make a legitimate film term do we want something that sounds silly I think that's got more chance of catching on, though, if it's like a funny joke. People will go like... It's, it's more obvious what it is, and yeah. also it's quite a silly genre, I suppose. Yeah. I, right, offici- right, officially it's cinema unawareite we're going with. That's what we're going to... Mm. We're going to start the Wikipedia page. <laughs> we're going to get it on TV tropes. Brilliant. How do you spell it? Uh, <laughs> cinema. Yeah, I've got that bit. Then, all right, let me just write it down. <laughs> and I'll f- all right, so it's... U N A W A R I T E, but the E has a little accent accent on it. That's how I would have spelled it if I had to guess. Yeah. Oh, there's an article already. Oh, I think it's an article by Sol, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it is. Yes. (laughs) Is it my review of Borat? The Starburst magazine. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love this. That's me trying to see. If you trying to see, if you Google it, there is one. I've never Googled something and only had one result of anything, (laughs) and this is it. (laughs) Excellent, excellent work. (laughs) Time to start the the movement. Well, that's very weird because I've just Googled it and I'm getting a load of results for a porn site called Anxian. A N Y X A N. Top result, brother and sister sexy movie night in night sleeping porn video. Which sounds like a sequel to Borat, actually. That weird, broken English. Did you spell it right? Oh, wow, I've got that as well. Ah, it's because it's picking up on the word site. Well, I don't know what that word means, but that's what it's finding. Huh. Oh, right, it thinks we've misspelt it. Right, I'm going to put it in quotes so it looks for it properly. Yeah. Well, the, the review didn't come up. I've just got no results. Oh. So, uh... Well, I did. <laughs> it works for Mac users anyway. Interesting. Uh, we need to work on this. Everyone listening, go and go and spread the word. Mm. But maybe, maybe don't do it at work. <laughs> All right. So, uh, as mentioned before, there was a quiz started last week for the music of the movies of 2020. Uh, Alan is winning currently by mm. two points, but we are about to <clears throat> delve into round three. Mm. So let's see if Calvin can claw back. Oh yes. His place. Definitely. So last round in the quiz last week was original songs from movies of 2020. This is the exact same thing. Part two, five more original songs from movies of 2020. And then a one bonus song at the end, which is a cover version of a song that existed before recorded for a film in 2020. Okay. Are you sticking with your buzzers from last week? Yep, I have yeah. my maracas. 
I have my, All right. I have my fork and mug. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay, ready? Let's do it. America, you a lie. But the whole world about to testify. I said the whole world about to testify. And the table's about to, the, the table's about to turn. Hmm. Something about turntables. Hmm. Now, bear in mind, there are some curveballs mixed in throughout these questions because there were not enough films of 2020 <laughs> to do this quiz properly. Um, okay. Oh, go on. Um, is it from the first Borat? No. Oh. <laughs> Good thinking, but no. Is no. It? Well, I mean... <laughs> it's an answer. <laughs> One of you has actually said the name of the song inadvertently. Turntables? Um, turn ta- turn it is called turntables, yeah. Oh. It's a point to Alan. <coughs> what? That's <laughs> ridiculous. Any idea who the uh, artist is? Kelly Rowland. Mm, no. No. Yeah. No, no, it is um it is Janelle Monet. Hmm. Uh, okay. Yes. I'm aware of her work. Um that is from the film All In, The Fight for Democracy, which is some <laughs> documentary that came out this year, but she wrote an original song for it, which is one of the heavy contenders at the coming Oscars. Hmm. Probably won't get nominated, but it's pretty good. I like that song. All right, next one. Ladies love my speed. Pick the run up trees. Who sing like me? Nobody. Stand in my lane. Best friend named Tails. Balance running on rails. I can't. Oh, no. Alan. Yes, Alan? Well, I heard best friend named Tails, so I'm going to go with Sonic. <laughs> yeah, well done. That is uh, from Sonic the Hedgehog. Any idea what it's called? Or who it's by? I actually think I know who it's by. (laughs) Go on. Is it Lil Nas X? (laughs) (laughs) Um, It isn't, but the names of the people involved in the song are so incomprehensible, I'm just going to give you a point. Because one of them is called called Lil Lil Yachty. Oh. So you got the little bit, and one the other ones are Wiz Khalifa, Ty Dollar Sign, but he spells the sign bit with a dollar sign as the S, and someone called Swaco the Child. <laughs> <laughs> I hate this kind of rap, this bloody mumble nonsense. Can I have a guess at the title? Yeah, go on. Is it? It's not going to be Green Hill Zones, is it? Or no, okay. no, it's not. Hear the re- maybe listen to the rest of the clip and yeah. have another stab at the name. I, I, there might be a clue. I can't remember. Speed me up. Yeah, Alan's got it. It's <laughs> speed me up. <laughs> okay. Uh, next clip, I guess. I wanted to fix that ugly mirth thing so we could win the prize. I wasn't expecting the mermaid's grim tear and sparklers stuck all over everywhere. I thought you'd look better in a blue bikini instead of just being all throw up greeny. <laughs> the paint was pretty wet so I plugged in a fan, which in hindsight might not have been a great plan. Because, you know, oxygen and fire, you, you do the dot. It's all is it Bill and Ted's excellent? Uh, is it Bill and Ted, the third one? No. Oh, never mind. All Can right, I have a guess? Alan. Go on. 
Okay, this guess is based on sort of crap voices, and they mentioned the restaurant. <laughs> is it Bob's Burgers? <laughs> it is Bob's Burgers. This is oh, well this done, is the Alan. curveball TV entry because <laughs> Bob's Burgers the movie was supposed to come out this year, and I was really excited for it, and it got postponed, and I had to make do with the songs they do on the TV show. So that that is a song from an episode of the TV show. I don't know if the song even has a name, so don't try and guess it. <laughs> Uh, you you will get another point, however, if you can tell me the performers. I will accept character names or Bob. actor names. Incorrect, Calvin. <laughs> Ooh, uh, 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 uh <laughs> I don't I have no idea. Actually, no, I've never seen it either. Calvin. Burgers. Oh, <laughs> um, oh. Uh, it's Dan Mintz, Eugene Merman, and Kristen Schaal as Tina, Jean, and oh, Louise. of course, Kristen Schaal. Yes. All right, next one. <clears throat> Fingers on buzzers. Calvin. <clears throat> mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that is uh <laughs> well. Um is that part of the Hans Zimmer uh gun barrel opening theme? It's an original song, remember. Well Hans Zimmer did uh release the the Oh no, what about uh Oh no Can wait, I? it's no time to die, Billy Eilish. There you go. Oh god. There he goes. I mean, it obviously triggered something in you there. So yeah, that is No Time to Die by Billie Eilish from No Time to Die, which is a curveball in that it's not a 2020 movie, is it, Calvin? (laughs) No, it is not. No, we built up to it a couple of times, and now it's 2021. Mm. It's currently scheduled for April 21. Who knows? That might have moved by the time this comes out. Um, Mm. I don't think we're going to be seeing it in April 2021. (sighs) Yeah. Well, I, I thought it was, you know, going to be too easy for you to get that. So I, I sort of jumbled up the clip a bit. So that's why it started with the very last bit yes. of the song. No, it caught me off guard because that was a, a, a Hans Zimmer sort of addition to the thing. Some of these more, mm. uh, yeah, the Bond theme flourishes. So, mm. uh, yes. I, I've really, I mean, I liked Billie Eilish this time last year, but I, I'm really like cemented in that now. I think she's yeah. fucking fantastic. I, I think she's brilliant. I've been listening to a lot of Therefore I Am recently, and I know it's not yeah, like yeah. traditionally my kind of music, but I love it. And Bad well, Guy, it. it's yeah. not it's not my kind of thing usually. I'm normally so out of touch with like charting popular music. I don't mm. like any of that shit normally, but I think she's great. I think she she transcends all that. It's nice mm. to be part of the part of the popular music scene for for a change. Mm. I particularly like all the weird kind of noises she makes on No Time to Die, so you're going to hear a few of those in a minute when you hear the rest of that clip. I do love that song. Did you mess with that? It's good. It's too good for James Bond, really, if you ask me. Uh, moving on. <laughs> the next... Uh, the next... Um, next clip, Alan, please. The last one in this in this round. Ooh. Apart from the bonus. Alan? Uh, that is from Borat's subsequent movie film. 
Yes. What were the other questions that I have to get? Well, name of the song, but I don't think it really has one. So it's called let's just, Wuhan let's, Flu. Let's just call it. Yeah, just call it Wuhan Flu. I don't know. I don't think it's got a real name. Uh, but yeah, tell me who it's by. Uh, Ethan Baron Cohen. Who's performing it? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> He's not going to get a point for that, is he? No, but who sang it? Sasha Baron Cohen. Yes, correct. Mm-hmm. Let's let's hear the rest of that, and then you've got one more uh, bonus question, which is the cover song. Okay. Inject him with the Wuhan flu. Inject him with the Wuhan flu. Let's hear it. Dr. Fauci, what we gonna do? Inject him with the Wuhan flu. Inject him with the Wuhan flu. Over there. She's over there. She's over there to the right. Okay, you ready? The next one? Alright. Going outside, get myself a bride, get me a woman to call my own. And that's a cover, you say? Get me a woman to call my own. It is. Yeah, it is, yeah. Is it Seven Brides for Seven Brothers? <laughs> they remade it. I didn't recognise the voice, you know. Well, you do know him. Um. Well, that was the song Lonely Room, which was written by Rodgers and Hammerstein for Oklahoma, yeah. uh, as performed by Jesse Plemons oh. In, oh, really? in I'm Thinking of Ending Things, the weird Charlie Kaufman film that came uh. out straight to Netflix this year. Huh. Is it a is it a comedy? Because I thought that was from like some kind of spoof um, thing when it uh, played. Uh, it just it sounds really silly. No, it's, <laughs> um, it's quite a it's quite a dark drama, but just very offbeat and weird. Okay, and it inexplicably ends with him singing a song from Oklahoma hmm. for no real reason. It's Charlie Kaufman. It's fucking mental. Hmm. Okay, so Alan has pulled away from you there, Calvin. He's got four points more than you. Calvin, you've got ten. Alan has fourteen. There's one more round coming up, which is perhaps the most interesting, exciting round of all. Oh, dear. Uh, So look forward to that. But before that, Tenet came out this year. Yes! Christopher Nolan was insistent, and uh, therefore it did come out. And we did another full-length episode about it, Alan and I. Much like Borat 2. So here's what we thought of it. But yes, we went to see Tenet. I think I saw the word palindrome used somewhere. I realised, oh yeah, of course, Tenet itself is a palindrome. And Christopher Nolan is a man known for story structure being played with. So of course the whole film's going to be a palindrome, was what I kind of thought going in. And I have to say, that is a beautiful concept. A beautiful idea. And, And I also have to say, it's... So, for anyone who hasn't seen it, Obviously, we're going to be getting into this, so there will be some spoilers here. Um, but to be honest, I don't think we can spoil this film because... I don't know what happened. Yeah, you won't know what's <laughs> happened, even if we tell you right now. It, like the big, the big concept is, essentially, there are characters who can reverse the flow of time for them, so they everything around them starts going back in time. So, so they travel back in time, but at the rate at which you travel forward in time. You can't just, like, whiz around. You have to, like, wait it out. That 
is a concept I've kind of been wanting to see done ever since. It must have been about, probably about five years ago. I, I remember listening to an interview or an audio commentary or something with David X. Cohen, the showrunner of Futurama, and he was right. talking about uh, some episode ideas for Futurama that they'd never been able to quite, quite figure out and make work. And the one that sounded really interesting is apparently they had this big idea for, you know, what what would have been their, you know, Emmy submission that year from the sounds of it. They're big, you know, yeah, look at this amazing episode. They wanted to do an episode about a character who travelled back in time and that, you know, that way they were they were living, but with their chronology reversed. So they spoke backwards, they walked backwards, but, you know, were just existing concurrently. Mm-hmm. And then the big twist was going to be that it was Fry and Leela's kid from the future and they'd somehow been like reversing back through time and it, it was this great idea but they said basically we spent far too long trying to figure this thing out and we just realized it's it's impenetrable it's just too complicated and we mm. just couldn't figure it out or make sense of it so they gave up on it yeah. and i think christopher nolan proved that they were right <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean i don't want to sound too negative cuz i didn't hate the film but I think this concept could have been done a lot better. And I think what I kind of had in my head that it was going to be, I kind of imagined as the film was going on, right, we're seeing these weird little things being set up. Mm-hmm. Most obviously the bit where he has a fight with someone who's going back in time at the same obviously time. Obviously himself. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I thought, right, so we're going to get to the midway point of the film and Christopher Nolan being this genius of structure that he is, we're going to start reversing, and it's mm. going to be the whole film that we've seen. And he seen. even has that moment where yeah. he follow, where the woman gets shot and he follows, like he goes into the machine and it turns in back in time. And yeah. it's like, right, now here's where we start. Now we're gonna, Now it's all going to pay off. That is very roughly at the halfway point. Yeah, that palindrome thing. I thought we were perhaps not quite straight down the line but we were just going to see the same scenes but from the other point of view going back but not like necessarily the same scenes but like the same events but you know from a different perspective but like they're going backwards and we kind of do have some of those ideas but yeah it needs to be straightforward like this half this half that that fight scene the most obvious example of you know this where he's fighting with himself from the future going in reverse i wanted to see that scene exactly as it was cut but in reverse yes yes, and i was very disappointed when we saw it back and it was all shot from different angles and edited differently like great idea but you've you've sold yourself short there you constructed this really cool action scene that i'm i might be wrong but i'm 99 percent sure would play just as well in reverse Mm -hmm. because suddenly one character isn't in reverse yeah or you, you, whatever you, you film it in a way that will work. Yeah. If it, yeah, or you, and you choreograph it in a way that works. Because I couldn't even figure out what was happening when that. Like, I was like, is this guy reversed or not? I think mm. he is. And then you see him like flip over the back, and it's like, yeah, okay, that bit was definitely reversed. Literally, give us the same footage reversed. Yeah. yeah. And that would be beautiful. But oh well. My main issue with this film is I don't want to sound arrogant here, <laughs> but you know, I. I can usually follow the plot of 
films that are meant to be quite complicated. Yeah. And specifically, I'm very good with time travel because it's a genre I love. So I, yeah. I watch loads of time travel movies and I've really, you know, I've taken the time to wrap my head around time travel. So I'm normally very good with time travel films. Yeah. And, you know, I, I never had a problem understanding Inception, but I, I can't begin to tell you what the fuck happened in Tenet. I don't yeah. know what... and And I think it goes beyond... The complicated time element of it all because just on the face of it i don't really i don't know what john david washington was anyway remove the time travel he was like a kind of james <laughs> bond kind of guy <laughs> something like that yeah cia kind of figure Did, i mean do you what was the opera at the start <laughs> that was so i think that was just like yeah like the bond opening scene that's like this just setting, setting up that up he's a character. spy yeah but then he got shot at with a reverse a reverse bullet at the start yeah so it's setting up that idea that yeah but then that the world, and that's i thought that's i thought we were going to go all the way back to that opera at the end of the film and see that bullet and we never do it never well, it pays does off. kind of refer to it with the backpack and all that but yeah that's it, isn't it i think i try to grapple with it too much and that confuses me further because it mm. like maybe I'm wrong, but I don't quite think it works <laughs> on a logical level. Things mm. like fire making you cold. I completely get and love the idea that transfer of heat is inverted, but in order for that to work, you would have to be really hot to start with, and then yeah. to, you would have to be burning and then not burning, surely rather than fire makes you freeze. Because in order for fire to make you freeze, that means the fire is absorbing heat away from you, and that doesn't make sense? And and why can't they breathe air? Well, I, I mean, I think that was just to give us a nice visual cue as to yeah. who's on what. Side, yeah, the, if you know what I mean, and the excuse for them to have a mask on as well, so you can do the for the reshoots. <laughs> Before we started recording, I had a quick look online because um, I I have basically just come home from the cinema at the time of recording, so I've not really digested this film. Okay, and I did see someone say that it's not inverted time so much as it's the inversion of entropy, and they do say that at one point the in the film. But that doesn't make sense because you can see quite blatantly that it's the inversion of time. <laughs> like, inverting entropy doesn't mean you go backwards in time, does it? Well, it doesn't really mean anything. That's the problem. Well, that's what I mean. The entropy thing is like a nice hand wave and I can suddenly buy right. Like, if they breathe our air, the air's gonna take oxygen out of their blood instead yeah. of putting it in and if they go near fire right okay i can buy that if the if the idea is they've inverted entropy but then that isn't time inverting entropy on a time scale would mean you uh, you go like benjamin button and you age backwards surely yeah. rather than you the idea of like switching into the other timeline in which you're traveling backwards and so you're in you're interacting with the world that's going the other way around i i, I can go with that i like that concept but then just inanimate objects having reverse entropy and yeah. a bullet just zoops back into the gun like it doesn't make any sense it doesn't it doesn't mean anything because they try and make a whole thing about about um look you you pick up the bullet and you drop it and you reverse it round and it works both ways and it's like yeah but what if you just push the bullet to the left with your finger on its side and then play it in reverse. The bullet's gonna be like stuck to your finger, pulling it like a magnet, and that doesn't work. 
the 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 object the inanimate object itself can't maintain uh, any energy that you are not putting on it i think it probably does all make sense if you were to sit down and have a chat with christopher nolan and he were to explain (laughs) the rules to you but the film needed like two more exposition scenes than it had the Mm. exposition scenes it had needed to be twice as slow and you know twice as long well and they needed to make sure that the exposition we were given wasn't lost in a sea of awkward sound mixing because I, I know that <laughs> this is a common complaint with Christopher Nolan, <laughs> you know, and I've defended it in the past as a, a kind of stylistic choice with the, the likes of Bane and the likes of Interstellar, which were both criticized for people not being able to understand what was being said. Mm hmm. But I can't think of any artistic justification for it in this film. Yeah, I would say I picked up about 65% of the dialogue total. Yeah. It's partly that all the actors are mumbling. (laughs) It's partly that about half the time they've got a mask on, so you can't read their lips. I don't know, there there was an almost arrogant nature of, no, you have to watch this ten times before it makes any sense. Yeah, I'm not going to do that. I, I'm not great at figuring out twists ahead of time because I try not to. I just yeah, try to go with it. it but go, yeah. but the second Robert Pattinson ordered him a diet coke, uh-huh. and and he and he was like, I you know I prefer I yeah I prefer I prefer tonic water or whatever. And he was like, No, you don't. I was like, Right. So he knows him from him going back in time from the future. Like I, I figured out exactly what their relationship was, and that was played like some sort of a twist That's the, interesting, I, at the end. I mean, I, did, I can't say I worked that out. I didn't think anything of that at the time. I thought it was just like, oh, they've done their research on him kind of thing. But then right at the end... Right, like literally, right at the end, Robert Pattinson's like, "Well, I'm gonna go back in time, and we're gonna have adventures in the past and your future." No, he, no, he, no, he's, no, he's not. At the end, he's like, "Right, well, I better go back and die because you just watched me die like five minutes ago." So, so I've got to go. <sighs> But that again was like, well, obviously, yeah. I think that was almost played like a twist. Like we weren't meant to have realized it was him. The problem with that as a twist is that it it doesn't recontextualize anything we've seen. It means nothing. Yeah. It's just like, okay, yeah, yeah, whatever. Well, I think it's meant to re. I think you're meant to not think anything of the dead body that stood up and got <laughs> shot. Yeah. I think you're meant to just think it's some name like faceless grunt or something, but it's so blatantly Robert Pattinson. <laughs> well that was the particularly thing, like... with the shot of the bag when he looks at it and Yeah, yeah. Well I have another major complaint. Yep. So there is a woman in this film. This is Christopher Nolan's tradition of putting a woman in this films. Um You get one. Yeah. I mean I've never seen anything as a, as an actor she was fine. Good actually. But the character, yeah, right. First of all, the fact that the John David Washington character seems to emotionally attach to her for some reason, and there's kind of enough going on there that you know he has kind of put her in a difficult position. He feels bad about that. He wants to kind of rescue her, but then like he he goes to such great lengths, seemingly just for her benefit. When we've already set the stakes as the world is going to end, we can't then do. In, oh. And I've moaned about this in previous Nolan films. You know what really pissed me off, and I actually thought of you. I actually thought of you, Alan, when when it happened. Oh God! They they said something to the effect of this weapon could mean the end of the world or the universe. 
And then she like sat up and went, and my son. Including my son? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I fucking and, was fuming. And, and I was I was so pissed off. I was like, that is terrible writing. It's like you're trying to humanize this huge thing, but you've done it in the laziest contrived way that no person would ever it goes without saying, including your son. It's the universe. <sighs> and you don't need to humanize that because it's like it obviously affects everyone ever. <laughs> you don't need us. We don't need it to have a human level of like, oh yeah, you're a mother to like care about these characters succeeding because they're trying to stop everyone ever from dying. Yeah. Ultimately, it's hard to really sympathize with it. It's like, oh, you know, when you married that Russian billionaire that's 30 years older than you, it's like you you made the bed. Now you got to lie in it, and it's not well written enough to justify it. I, no, I, I, I completely agree. I had the thought of, it's weird that we're being asked to, like, sympathise with you when you knowingly married this violent mob boss. Now, yeah. it's the idea that she didn't know the true nature of who he is or what he is. I don't know, but that doesn't come across. Look, let, let me give you some life advice for everyone out there. If you ever meet a Russian billionaire, they're an evil person, okay? <laughs> they, they, they have done terrible, terrible things to achieve that. I, I, I'm, I'm saying Russian here for context. If you're a billionaire, you've done terrible things. <laughs> because, to be honest with you, if you're a billionaire and you go, that's good, I'll keep that money, rather than I'll use that money for things because yeah. I don't need it. <laughs> you know, that alone is a thing. It does right. The the time travel thing it doesn't work because it only works if everything has always been that will ever be. and that's not how we because because at the end there's this weird action scene where it's like this two teams of inverted soldiers like yeah. going in one going forwards through time one going back through time. Never quite got my head around any of that. And there's a <laughs> there's a sequence where they there's like a des- a destroyed building. Yeah. And as it begins to reverse through time because we see it from or rather as it begins to because we as it begins to be destroyed we're seeing it from the perspective of people going backwards through time so it seems like everything else is going in reverse so as the building goes from being destroyed to being a built not destroyed structure they then blow it up with some reverse bombs that blow it up again with the other side on the top so so it goes blown up fixed blown up again back to how it was but that means that going back through time there will now be rubble of this building there in that spot but then that means that building can never have been built in the first place because people would have to bring rubble of a building and put it there to i know it doesn't make any sense does it it was entertaining i didn't dislike it even though it's baffling i do trust that it largely adds up if you were to take the time to yeah. read the script nolan and... has earned my trust in that respect that it will all exactly make, it will exactly. all add up I... if you actually get down to it yeah so i'm gonna give it a very low seven out of ten it's, <laughs> it's basically a 6.5 but i'm rounding up to a seven generous yeah yeah i mean for me uh yeah there's definitely the engaging sequences that work but you know, ultimately, the whole thing doesn't hang together as a as a piece. I'm sure it all works on a sort of time scale, but that doesn't mean it works structurally or as a as a narrative or as interesting or entertaining piece. 
And I think it is. It does contain a lot of Nolan's sort of bad habits. Yeah. Basically, I gave it a five out of ten, and I would say that is somewhat inflated. I'm, I'm giving him points for effort because he does try so hard. <laughs> I was leaning towards a four, and I went like, no, you know what? It, it didn't drag. I kind of was engaged. I was interested in what was happening. It let me down ultimately, but you know, I do think it's one of his worst films. I'll say that much. And as I say, I, I will now play the entire uh, the entire episode in reverse. <laughs> because we are true to <laughs> our philosophy of being a palindrome. Christopher Nolan didn't have the balls. Okay, and there definitely won't be any... We definitely won't be dropping little things in the backwards bit. <laughs> so don't bother listening to it. There's definitely not going to be any special Easter eggs or anything. So I'm going to sign off with thanks for listening, but I'm going to try and say it backwards, and then we'll see if it just sounds like a garbled mess. Uh, I've got to break the syllables down, haven't I? Listening. Thanks for listening. Nath. I think that's pretty good, actually. <laughs> you got you got that kind of clipped nature backwards talking. Always says that, yeah, that kind of sound to it. Now, d- that. D- yeah, that kind of yeah. Right, yeah. thanks, guys. I'm off to watch the Red Dwarf uh, episode backwards series three episode one. I think it is. That's what I'm off to watch to cleanse my palate. God, I forgot backwards. Yeah, backwards did this. Fucking years ago, didn't it? Yeah, thirty years ago. Yeah, and it made fucking sense there. (laughs) There you go, stolen from Red Dwarf as always. Yeah, that annoyed me when when she got shot and you could see that she was going to get shot because the bullet, the reverse bullet, was in the window with blood on it. Mm. But it was like she she isn't going back through time, so a bit of her has travelled back. It doesn't make sense, does it? (laughs) Just feel it. Bye. Bye. Yeah. 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 Thanks for listening. Oh, tenet. Is that so? That. <laughs> Calvin, did you see tenet? I did indeed. I went to the cinema to see it and everything. Oh, right, right. right. Did you guys well, see it at the cinema? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. It was our big comeback movie. In, uh, the last 
10 months? Uh, yes. Uh, well, I enjoyed it. Uh, my experience is going to be somewhat heightened by the fact that it was just a novelty to even be going to a cinema uh, at that yeah. point. So I said that yeah. as well. I didn't get that at all. Oh, no, I totally did. It was just, you know, it was that thing of, like, and, and honestly, like, the gap between seeing that and the last movie that I saw at the cinema is probably not that much bigger. You know, I've definitely had gaps in cinema-going experiences yeah. like that before, but it just meant more because it was like, oh, this is something that I don't have the ability to do now whenever I want. Um, mm. So, yeah, so bearing bearing in mind, I was probably happy just to sit there and let whatever it was flush, you know, just flush over me. Um, and that's probably what it did. I still don't really know if I could tell you any <laughs> of the finer points of the plot or, like, what was yeah. going on at any point. Even though it's like, I feel like it is explained, like, there are scenes where there are these di- people are talking, there's all this dialogue about what people are going to do, and I don't know if it just doesn't go yeah. into your brain or what, but I'm like, wait a minute, what are you talking about? There, there are still things in, like, Interstellar, like, when I saw Interstellar, I saw it with my flatmate at the time who uh, went, who did uh, physics at Cambridge, so it was very handy <laughs> for me to come out of that film and have someone there to explain it, but even then I didn't understand it, even when it's being put in very simple terms to me and we're getting home and he's trying to explain things to me with things we can find around the flat and i just don't understand <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well i mean it's it's like i said uh to alan you know i you know i i'm generally quite good at understanding complicated films i i couldn't even begin to comprehend tenet it was just baffling that's really reassuring because i thought you were gonna be like you idiots how could you not no, no, understand it's, what it's was going just absolutely like it's probably the most impenetrable film i've ever seen in my life and mm-hmm. I, I feel like they were doing it almost on purpose because <laughs> Christopher Nolan wants you to go and watch it 10 times but yeah. you know I, I don't think many people are going to do that. <laughs> Calvin what would you give it? Uh, it's a 7 from me. Let's move on. Uh next up was Bill and Ted Face the Music which uh I also saw in the cinema actually. It was part of that little that little sunny patch where there were new films coming out in the cinema. The cinema opened again. And I got to watch, I think, four movies before I'd seen everything. Did I see it at the cinema? I think you did, yeah. Oh. Should we should we hear what we thought about it? Yeah. We were very pessimistic, I think, in our Bill and Ted episode that they were going to pull it off. We, we weren't keen on the trailer for the third film. Mm-hmm. We felt like they'd missed the boat. I think this film is pretty much exactly on par with the other two i i think it's quite remarkable how well it stands up there with the other two films i sort of agree i think the i got from this film what i expected uh yes my expectations were quite low but it did still survive on that same charm and likability that the first films do because we established they were not perfect films by any means exactly but we like them a lot i i would say this film doesn't quite capture that and the the nostalgia pu- pulled me through if you put a gun to my head and made me choose this this would quite an easy one to pick out as the worst of the three mm. But there's not a lot in it. it. It's a very respectable third film in a franchise, basically. Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, fun, crazy time travel shenanigans. Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, it's a fun adventure in the afterlife mm-hmm. after they die. Bill and Ted 3 needed a, a clear-cut concept 
for an adventure and it needed to be something new. And I'd heard they were doing a kind of it's a wonderful life kind of thing, seeing alternate realities, alternate versions of their lives. You can see how someone said that. Yeah. based on this plot, yeah. but it's also not exactly what this is. No. I think that would have been a lovely plot, yeah. but what this film actually is, is an awkward mishmash slash rehash of the first two films. It is repeating the same ideas. They they do excellent adventure again with Bill and Ted's daughters yeah. assembling a band made up of the greatest historical musicians of all time. And Bill and Ted themselves do a bit of time travel to the future, but just seeing themselves in the future at various points before everyone dies and goes to the afterlife and then comes back with death. Yeah, and those, that that element, the Bill and Ted story, which they're going to the future, it, it was funny, it had some nice moments, it, it gave them the chance to play themselves, but in like weird different costumes and stuff and, and, and kind of different characterizations. Again, it doesn't quite play because it's just them like three years in the future. It, I think it worked, it just felt a bit wishy-washy yeah like that that felt like a subplot and if you're doing that that needs to be the focus of everything yeah but then it is cut with this other story of bill and ted's daughters yes as you say pretty much rehashing excellent adventure and the problem with that storyline is that we don't really get much from it the the past the historical figures they go and find we do not get Mm. the same kind of fun and energy that you get in excellent adventure Alan, what what would your band be if you had to go back and assemble the best band from history? Oh, hang on. Let me just Google famous female slash black musicians in history. Um... Well, I'll tell you you which famous... Well, not famous. I'll tell you which black uh, female musician is in my band, assembled from all of history. I would have Gail Ann Dorsey, who was uh, primarily... Probably best known for being one of David Bowie's session musicians that toured with him. She's a fantastic guitarist. I love her. Guitarist slash backup singer. I would have gone for David Bowie on vocals, and he would have been like, why would I join your band? And I'd then have to go and get John Coltrane on sax and bring him back to show. <laughs> yeah, of course. Come on, yeah, Bowie, yeah. come be in my band with John Coltrane. When would you get Dick Valentine involved? Uh, I'd have him write some <laughs> some songs, and, and I would have Tate Nucleus of Electric Six on synthesizer. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, I figured this all out, Alan. I'm going to tell you, right? Okay, I, good. I'm, I've also I'd have Brian May on on second guitar, <laughs> just to wind him up. But yeah, but he'd be on like strict. If you're a dickhead, you're out. Right? Don't <laughs> know your place. You gotta be of. a team player. Yeah. On bass, I would have Les Claypool. I think he's a very good bassist. Who's that? Who? What's he known for? Uh, he wrote the South Park theme tune. <laughs> okay. Well, that's he, he's he's in Primus. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously. <laughs> I'd probably go with Neil Pert on drums. Oh, yeah. That's not a. That's not an exciting or original choice, but, you know, he's a, he's a drummer. In fact, no, I'd, I, it's a band from all history, isn't it? Yeah. I'd get a T-Rex with a couple of bongos. <laughs> okay. <laughs> not a long way away from what they did in the film. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'd get Clara Rockmore on theremin. I was very pleased with the little name check they gave her. Oh, did they? Oh, yeah, of course he's playing the theremin, isn't he? Yeah. There was a little, yeah. She she said like, oh, I I wanted to say your 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 mastery of the theremin rivaled that of Clara Rockmore, and I thought <laughs> I think this is the most 
I've ever felt like a joke is <laughs> not going to play for anyone <laughs> apart from me. Yeah, because the whole idea is that the, the daughters are really, like, they know everything about music, basically. They're really up on it. Yeah, they're really into it, yeah. Uh, music history, at least. And my biggest issue, really, because this is someone who would definitely be in my band to wrap it all off, and it was an issue I had with the film. This is meant to be the greatest band of all time. Yes. So... Why, why haven't they got some Mancunian Pratt on the maracas just dancing <laughs> at the front of the stage? That was what the, the, the robot was, wasn't he? That's basically what he Oh, yeah, I guess you're right, actually, yeah. <laughs> they should have given him some maracas, though. That would have been... Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well. But obviously you have Bez in there, just down the front. <laughs> Gotta have a Bez. Obviously, yeah. Let me ask you a question, Salt. Mm-hmm. If I showed you this film, you'd never seen uh, these films before. And I said, look, these two leads. One of them's a major Hollywood star. The other one hasn't acted for 30 years. Which way would you go on that? <laughs> I mean, well, obviously the way you're leading, which is that Alex Winter is clearly, as we established in our Bill and Ted episode, Alex Winter is clearly the better two, better of the two actors. Far superior, yeah. Between him and Keanu Reeves. And, you know, I like Keanu Reeves. Everyone likes Keanu Reeves. Yeah. But I think we can, we... can we put to bed this notion that Keanu Reeves is secretly a good actor? Well, I don't think anyone's ever claimed such a thing, have they? <laughs> it's a ridiculous notion. If ever there was an opportunity for him to kind of come out and show that in the twilight of his career, it's this, where he gets to play... Ted, and then about five alternate <laughs> versions of Ted. Alex Winter was great at doing all the different character yeah. versions of himself, and Prison uh, prison Bill, and uh, British Bill, yeah. whereas Keanu Reeves was just like <laughs> struggling to remember his line or something it was it was i think it might be the worst keanu reeves performance i've ever seen and that is saying something because he is a bad actor he's he is not not even a mediocre actor who's getting by on being a nice good looking chap and uh, obviously good to work with he's a bad actor Mm, i've seen him you know i i think he can get away with it yeah i've seen enough films where you don't like i watched the uh the devil's advocate the other day Mm-hmm. I didn't watch it thinking this guy's terrible. Yeah, that's as good as it gets, isn't it? But then the flip side is, you know, Bram Stoker's Dracula, <laughs> which yeah. I would say is far worse than anything in this film. So <laughs> you know, it gets away with it. No, I don't think he does. What interests me was, apart from the fact that he looks like his forehead is frozen solid, um, and he really needs to put in a contract that he only ever performs with a beard. He really needs to get that nailed in. That was bizarre because. Why couldn't he just have a beard? Yeah. You know? Um, Because he looked great when they went to visit future versions of him and British him had a beard. Yeah. I was like, oh, he looks good again. I mean, look, the guy is 60 years old. He doesn't look bad for 60. It's just that when he has when he has a beard, it looks like he's about 40. Yeah. That's all it is. So people are shocked when he shave. Like, look, if I shave... I look 10 years younger, and it just goes in reverse once you kind of cross over a certain <laughs> yeah, threshold. Yeah, it's hiding, it? it's hiding all those sins. Did I tell you on the podcast? I think I mentioned it the other day that I, I got ID'd when trying to buy alcohol <laughs> in a shop, and it's because I was wearing a, a mask that presumably covered the majority of my beard, my <laughs> facial hair, so I just look young. It's that same thing. You, you know originally, Alan... The Father Christmas was in this film. Oh, really? And that makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Because when I was watching it, I thought, oh my god, they're going to get Father Christmas to come and help them distribute an <laughs> instrument to everyone. And near the end of the film, there there's a bit where they have to give everyone in the universe an instrument to 
play along with the song simultaneously throughout history, not just everyone alive, yeah. but everyone in all of history. And I did think, oh my god, they're gonna they're gonna have to get Santa along to help out. <laughs> and was... apparently, it was originally written that it was going to be Father Christmas. That'd be quite an but... audacious move, even for these films. <laughs> <laughs> but instead, yeah, they they decided to make some infinity button on the time machine yeah it was very much a moment where you just have to go okay there's about a hundred things on screen that's good that's nearly infinity all right (laughs) (laughs) final thoughts i'm glad it got made yeah it was it was i liked it i give it seven out of ten alan same as i gave the other two well i i I think i basically agree i i enjoyed it it was flawed but it had some moments so i gave it a six a sturdy six I, I really think it, it could have been better as well. That's that's the frustrating thing. Oh, yeah, you did hear it. You did see it at the cinema. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> Calvin, yeah, uh, I'm guessing you you have no interest in Bill and Ted whatsoever. Absolutely that, none. <laughs> I didn't even stick around to hear that previous clip. <laughs> uh, well, from one thing you have no interest in to another, SpongeBob SquarePants. Uh, oh, I have a limited interest. Oh, really? Did, uh, did you have enough of a limited interest to watch the new Spongebob movie that ended up going straight to Netflix in the UK? Oh, I didn't even know that. Oh, okay. No. Then no. <laughs> um, it, it was meant to come out in cinemas this year. I think it went to cinemas in Canada. Went straight to CBS's new Paramount streaming service in America. And uh, we got it on Netflix over here. So hmm. Alan and I watched it and here's what we thought. It's... Um, I don't know, it's weird, isn't it? It's It's got brand new animation style for no reason whatsoever other than they presumably yeah. felt they needed to justify this one being a movie. It's CGI kind of animation. Mm. And I think we were quite dismissive of that uh, in the main body yeah. for our, our, our main Spongebob podcast episode. But, I mean, I have to say, if it has to be CGI animated, it's quite a nice job of it, actually. It's quite a nice stylized form of CGI animation. It's not just the hideous go-to, but you know, obvious way of doing it, which is what the previous film employed when Spongebob and everyone went to the surface mm. um, at the end of Sponge on the Water. So, So on that side of things... Yeah, pretty good job in, in terms of animation. I still would have preferred if it was hand-drawn. <laughs> yeah, there's no obvious reason for it in any practical sense. And yeah, it, it, I think it loses something. It definitely loses something. And yeah, yeah. Like, there was a particular bit where Mr. Krabs gets stampeded by a load of people and he's flattened on the floor. Mm. And for some reason, like that moment, it's quite early on, just jumped out at me as like, that would work in the style that they used to have, but it yeah. does, doesn't play here. I don't know why that is quite, but... I I do like, though, that we seem to have turned a corner with CGI animation now. For for the longest while, it was essentially, like, how can we make this look as realistic as possible? And then we reached a point where you can essentially make stuff that's photorealistic. <laughs> and now it's like we're going back and making stylized CGI animation. Because, you know, a- animation isn't unless you're making special effects, animation isn't about replicating what's in front of you. And, you know, we, we had the likes of the uh, Charlie Brown movie, the likes of Captain Underpants, which I haven't seen, but these were two of the very early CGI as a stylized medium films. Um, and I think this this film just goes to show that we're kind of entering a new era where 
that's going to be the norm. CGI animation can be incredibly stylized and, you know, done in a way that isn't just about looking 3D. I, I don't know. But that aside, uh, as someone who watched well, has seen more of the show certainly than I have. Are there any new ideas here? Is is there anything? No, it's, different? it's it largely just like the a... same ideas yeah. from the first movie being recycled once more. Yeah. My broad thoughts of this film: this is a film that completely casts to one side everything about SpongeBob that kind of makes it SpongeBob in favor of creating a cr- just an incredibly generic. Uh, CGI family movie, but Mm -hmm. as a CGI generic family movie, it's not a bad job of it. It's a bad Spongebob movie. It's a pretty passable bit of, you know, kids' entertainment on its own terms. It felt felt less like it was trying to be funny and more like it was focused in on on just doing the story, and, and I think that's I guess that's fine. Well, I, I think I agree with you. Apart from, I don't think that's fine. Um, the, mm. I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't be watching this if it was a family-friendly well, normal true, thing. Yeah. It, it, because it's SpongeBob, that's why you're going to get an audience such as myself. Even though you know that's only yeah. through the podcast anyway. But that means there's a different expectation, and it's not meeting that expectation. But yeah. I totally agree with you. It. it, it there was a couple of little moments, little gags here and there that were yeah, nicely... Yeah, there, there's a sequence in the middle that's got... There's a lot of incredibly episodic sequences that are just dropped oh, in yes. that could just be lifted out. And there's one oh, early on so, that yeah. felt like... It almost felt like a studio note, like, hey, can we make it a bit like Spongebob? And they were like, alright, let's just add in a, a wacky <laughs> sequence that's got nothing to do with anything. Um, and that's quite early on where they, Patrick and Spongebob dream that they are in the Wild West and they're dealing with zombie pirates. Are they zombie pirates or just zombie cow- zombie cowboys? No, they're um, zombie pirate cowboys. The leader of whom is Snoop Dogg. No, no, no and he's not there the is Danny Trejo as well. Is Danny no, Trejo Danny the leader? Danny Trejo is kind of their leader, but he's keeping them captive in a sense. Snoop Dogg's uh, Snoop just Dogg a guy just who comes out to, to do, a do a musical number because he's not even like in the zombie maker. Dough. Even when I'm on, I'm off, y'all. Looking for the king, get a coach, y'all. You better leave now, where you lost, though. The zombie king, yeah, I hear him coming. OG Goo, with a thirst for the running. You in the wrong bar, wrong town. Got a spot to feel the real deal coming down that hill. Your brains for breakfast. <sighs> that bit was the most egregious, just this is totally pointless, stupid. I mean, it's not acceptable, frankly, I think. That's <laughs> not a scene. It's... Well, can I tell you the bit I hated? Because I, I'm, I, it's clear you're going in with a, a razor blade <laughs> to you know, go for the jugular. So yeah. I want to get my negativity out of the way so I can focus on being a bit more positive about it. I despised that there is a good 10 minute chunk towards the back end of this film that is just a backdoor pilot for the new Spongebob Squarepants spin-off series that we touched on in our Spongebob episode. You know that incredibly... Um, uh, incongruous sequence where all the characters talk about how they met Spongebob at uh, camp mm. as children, yeah. even though that's completely uh, counter to <laughs> various old episodes of the show and uh, we're introduced to... But other than that, I t- the weirdest thing is that um, it opens with uh, a sort of documentary-style narration uh, which Spongebob always used to do, but it used to be Tom Kenny doing a Jacques Cousteau impression, mm. which is, you know, obviously makes sense as a nice joke. 
Whereas mm. here, it's the voice of Tim Hill, who is the film's director, which yeah. might make sense if they couldn't get Tom Kenny back. But obviously Tom Kenny is the lead <laughs> voice in this film. And therefore it's very... Well, I was under bizarre. the impression that it was an attempt at a David Attenborough impression. Life in this watery metropolis thrives among the twists and turns, nooks and crannies and back alleys. Yeah, that I, I, I was watching it and I thought, what is this? Is this like a Werner Herzog? It's not very good <laughs> Werner Herzog. And then I realised halfway through, oh, it's an attempt at David Attenborough. It's just not very good. And it's not hard to find someone who can do a half-decent David Attenborough impression. But it, yeah, again, just an odd choice. But yeah, I mean, I, I don't really have much to say. I, I enjoyed the kind of spectacle of it. I, I enjoyed seeing these characters again. I enjoyed the fact that this was just very watchable and passed the time in a way that modern episodes of Spongebob aren't for me when I've dipped mm-hmm. back into the show here and there. I liked that they um like I said the animation was nice even though it wasn't what I wanted there were some nice shots it, you know it's nicely put together for the most part it zipped along it's a, a little like what 90 minute 91 minutes it is I've just checked go on then bearing in mind I gave the previous film Sponge Out of Water a 7 out of 10 <laughs> yeah I think this is a better film than Sponge Out of Water I think yeah. I think Sponge Out of Water is a better Spongebob movie but it's not a better film and i think just taken for what it is this was a reasonably solid film and i like spongebob i like the music i like all that stuff so i i give this a very low seven out of ten as well which i appreciate is very generous but i'm sure you're going to offset that now with an overly critical rating <laughs> what do you say a seven yeah oh, sorry i i don't know for some reason in my head i heard eight and i couldn't quite fathom it um so yeah <laughs> i came <laughs> uh, well, that episode of the office where michael scott says espresso and then oscar <laughs> leaps in to correct him for saying espresso even though he didn't actually say espresso that's good that's a good uh plot line like carry the whole episode on that <laughs> no it's a it's a one <laughs> <laughs> it's one gag in an episode. So for me, the first SpongeBob film was kind of much better than I expected. Actually, good quality entertainment. I can see how it works for kids. It has enough there for a, for an adult audience. Uh, and I gave that an eight out of ten. Uh, and then the second one we watched, Sponge Out of Water, was just a generic kind of yeah. Look, we got a TV show. Let's do a bit of a longer one. Right? Try and cash in on it. And it was pretty boring. It was what I was sort of expecting from SpongeBob. Mm. Uh, and I gave that a five out of ten. So this one. Um, sponge on the run. I thought this was kind of had all the same problems with that, except it wasn't even sort of have the funny moments. It, it didn't have the kind of SpongeBobby moments. Well, uh, I, I think it's the opposite end of the spectrum. It's kind of you know, it's it's more focused on being a movie without any of the SpongeBob elements, whereas the previous one had those SpongeBob elements but just yeah. poorly assembled. Perhaps I don't think that's a good thing though. Mm. And I also don't think it was particularly good, and I gave it a four out of ten. Uh Keanu Reeves, <laughs> Snoop Dogg, <laughs> in a SpongeBob movie. Uh, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, here's a big discussion that's exclusive to this episode. We we haven't done this on a Diminisode. Uh, we did a Citizen Kane episode mm. quite recently. Because of Mank coming out, the David Fincher Netflix movie, that's now come out. 
I was going to say been and gone, but it's still there if you want to watch it. Uh, I've watched it. Alan, I think you've watched it. Calvin, I, I don't know. If, if I, I, I haven't actually, but I will be doing it at some point. Alan, what did you make of it? Let me ask you a question, right? <clears throat> oh, God. All right, he didn't like it, Calvin. Didn't like it. <laughs> Who is this film for? Oh. <laughs> um, I think it's for David Fincher to honour his dad who wrote it. Yeah, I think this film is for David Fincher. I think that's who it's for. Hmm. It's for... like I, I know... I think I know more about kind of films and stuff than the average person. I know more about film history. I know more about old Hollywood. And I don't know anything about Herman Mankiewicz. Well, I know he wrote Citizen Kane. Like, that's that's about it. That's fine, though. You don't need to know about someone for a biographic film to have value or entertainment value or whatever. No, you don't. But there's a whole world of setting here. People like Lewis B. Meyer and William Randolph Hearst and Marion Davis... And I know a little bit about awesome all of those people, but you know, I think most of the current film watching public don't. I don't know if you really get enough information here to really tell. Like, there's if I hadn't watched Citizen Kane three weeks ago, there's loads of stuff here I wouldn't have got. I just wouldn't have understood. I wouldn't have seen the reference yeah. or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So I'm glad we watched it quite recently. This feels like a class, one of those classic examples of Hollywood eating itself and just kind of like someone who's in that world in this little bubble, not realizing that outside of that, there's a whole world where people don't give a toss about your little bit of history. The personal story that we actually get here is not engaging enough to make up for that. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I kind of agree. Um, the, the film was written by Jack Fincher, who is David Fincher's late father. You should have set off earlier. I think, I think there was an air of like... Oh, I'm going to make Dad's screenplay, and that's a way to yeah. honor my dad. Now it's not badly written, but it's perhaps lacking a, a an in point for anyone who isn't yeah, yeah, a yeah. Herman Mankiewicz biographer. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a it's a niche audience, <laughs> and his life isn't, or at least the slice of it we get here isn't that incredibly interesting or compelling to really draw you in. I guess. There's some really nice moments in this film, really nice scenes. They mostly involve Tom Burke as Orson Welles. Unsurprising, I guess. Orson Welles tends to dominate things when he's in them. But he's not, he's really a very much a supporting character in this. He pops yeah, he's up in about three times. scenes, yeah. But, you know, it's, it's beautifully shot. I wouldn't expect anything less from a David Fincher film. It is, of course, kind of evoking the style of Citizen that's Kane another, that's in the films of the I 40s. That's another by the way. Going, oh, we'll shoot it in black and white because it's set in the olden days. It's black and white days. Yeah, let's do it in black and white. Let's do the sound on one track so that it feels like Citizen Kane. Yeah. Fuck off. (laughs) I think that can be a valid way of making something. And I think the likes of Ed Wood, for example. If you're going to do all that, if you're going to do all that and you're going to, look, I'm evoking 1940s cinema, we're going to make it 1940s style. But you haven't, have you? You haven't shot in a 1940s style. You've just done it in black and white. Commit to it as an artistic project or fuck off. (laughs) Oh my. I'm annoyed. And David Fincher, I feel like David Fincher has like hit this point of where he's like lost his mind now. And he's going to turn into Stanley Kubrick, which is not necessarily a bad thing because obviously we might get some great films out of it. But I think he's insane. I think he does, has no context anymore of why he's making films. He just wants to make his film exactly how he wants to make it. And everyone else can just maybe get on board or piss off. I'll tell you what I did really like, a little detail with regards to how they put the thing together. 
you're probably going to hate it. <laughs> I like the way that the instead of just putting like Hollywood Boulevard or whatever down at the bottom of the screen, oh, yeah. they put exterior Hollywood Boulevard day. I was okay with that. It's a little bit gimmicky, but it was in theme with the film, so that's fine. Particularly when they had brackets flashback. I thought that yeah. was, oh, it's such a nice way of um, explaining that this is a flashback to us. It's, yeah, you know. I was all right with that, to be honest with you. Yeah. Did you did you like how <laughs> in this scene, we in this film, we see Herman Mankiewicz from the age of like 30 to 42 or something, played by Gary Oldman, who's what, 65? <laughs> and they make pretty much no effort to make him look younger at all. <laughs> i tell you what little interesting fact I found out here when I was just reading about this. David Fincher and Gary Oldman share an ex-wife. <gasps> oh, really? Yeah, both married to this woman. Who? Like, at separate times, obviously. Uh, I don't know. I don't remember the name. She's not famous or anything. Oh, she's not an actor anyway. I didn't know the name. Oh. But they both got kids with her. Good Which Lord. one was first? Fincher. Oh. Really? Because yes. he's called Gary Oldman, so you'd expect he'd be the first one. And then well, he is Fincher older than David Fincher, new one. not that much older. But they, but yeah, Gary Oldman was that he married to Uma Thurman, wasn't he, when he's 30 years older than her? Well, look, I didn't dislike it. I must say, for the first half, I was thinking, like, what is the point of this film? Yeah. It was like the last half hour, it kind of kicked into gear, and I was like, okay, I'm actually enjoying it now. But it's one of David Fincher's worst films, I'll say that up mm. front. I think it's... It feels somehow quite unadventurous for him, doesn't it? Yeah, un, yeah, un, it really did, yeah. Like, uh, because the stylized feel he's gone for is just, like, film. <laughs> like, that's the style. It's a, in the style of a film. So it's... Yeah. It, it yeah. is, yeah, underwhelming somehow. But having said that, solid performances all around, some nice moments, yeah. a nice bit of Hollywood history, which I do actually have an interest in. Yeah, that's it. There, there were these little nuggets in there that I was like, oh, that's interesting and really nicely kind of conveyed and like i say i did get once they finally kicked into gear with the plot as in he wants a writing credit on this film i did find myself engaging with it it's just it took a good like hour before any of that really started so i mean i, I can't say i disliked it but i yeah, completely I get where you're coming from and agree with uh, i i give it a really low seven out of ten hmm. Yeah, well, like obviously, I've had some complaints, but I, mean, I gave it a six. It's, <laughs> it's well, it's well made. It's it's a it's an engaging. It's not that engaging, actually, to be fair. But you know, good acting. There's a there's a character there. It's dealing with this bit Citizen Kane well, history, it, which I am. It was, it's slightly interesting. I just not. I don't know. I think I would enjoy this film more than most people, more than the average cinema yeah. goer. Oh, completely. And I gave yeah, it a six. Absolutely. So there you go. That's how I think about it. It was one of those films where I kept getting ready to be like, you know what, I don't like it. And then there'd just be one scene that would draw me in and I'd be like, oh, I, I like that bit. And it'd kind of earn another 10 minutes from me. It was that yeah. kind of an experience where it was like, okay. Um, and I, I, I did factor it into my directorial uh, filmography list, Alan. You'll be pleased to know. Oh, yeah. So David Fincher, I believe, has dropped down a place. Oh. It's lowered his average, so that's... Never a good thing, is it? He's now number 19 on my list, David oh, Fincher. Dear. Right. Well, that's it for films of the year. God, was that all? There are some more, but we, we they're not out yet. We can't watch them yet. Because they're not no, yet. Ti no time yeah. to die. We built up two twice. <laughs> yeah. At the time of recording, Wonder Woman 1984 is out in two days' time. So that will be out by the time this episode drops, but we haven't seen it yet. Mm. 
already done episodes for Kingsman. Uh, yeah. The Purge. The Purge. Oh, God, I forgot about Coming that. Coming to America. Yeah. God. These are all, uh, well, some of them are available on the Patreon already. Yeah. Did we record Candyman in the end? No, we didn't, did we? No, we start. I started watching the movies, but we never actually recorded The Blu-rays, it. yeah, I bought them specially. Uh, Something for next year, I guess. Yeah. What else comes out at the end of this year? Soul, the Pixar movie. I'm really looking forward to that, actually. Yeah. But anyway, something something else to look forward to is the final part of the music quiz. <laughs> that yeah. will, and you don't have to look forward very far in the future because it's going to happen right now. <laughs> okay, so we're on the last round. Yes. So I've called this this round movie adjacent singles. Hmm. Now, with it being a year of a pandemic and productions largely shutting down i don't know if this is the case or not but my read is a whole load of film people who would be making music for films have just been like making music elsewhere i mean you'll see you'll see what i'm talking about i suppose but basically i want you to name the name of the song the name of the artist what it's from if applicable okay not all of them are from anything mm-hmm. so those are your points there and uh Calvin, you're four points behind Alan. There's only five songs here. Oh dear. <laughs> do do we do do we get three points for each one if we Yeah, right. to to make things interesting, each each correct answer gets two points. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> two points for the name of the song, two points for the artist, and there are a few instances where it is from something, and I'll I'll accept one point for that. Okay, fabulous. Right. <laughs> okay. Right. Are you ready? Yes, I have my thing of pills. My maracas, I mean. Sorry. Any ideas? <laughs> Not a clue. No. It was Not... evoking Bond to me, though. Is there a Bond connection? Hmm. Mm, I will. I mean, I, I will give you a clue that that is. It's a song called "Side Real Day 2, hmm. which is from an album called Travelogue Volume One, okay. which is a concept album recorded and released by a well-known Hollywood film composer, one who is a favourite of mine. I don't know if you want to take a stab at it there Calvin? Alan Menken? Ooh, no I'm afraid not no. anyone else Alan though? No, anyone else. that is by that is by Michael Giacchino oh. along with the Novell Modern Orchestra hmm now this is the sort of thing I'm on about here so is that him just like he hasn't had anything to do so he's just churned some stuff out that, that is my read on the situation <laughs> yeah you gotta keep yourself creative yeah alright uh, next one I heard the word Netflix and anesthesiologist in that. <laughs> yeah. It sounded like the uh, theme tune to the Big Bang Theory. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I don't know though. Didn't recognise the voice. No, I do not. Is it Dick Valentine? No, no. <laughs> uh, Calvin, you might recognise this voice. <sighs> so he's he's listing things that make him happy, like Netflix and Cheerios. They soothe yeah. his soul. He said. <sighs> it's probably going to be really obvious when you say it, but I can't place it. Uh, no, no, I've not got it. Okay, well, um, Alan, no. Zac Efron. <laughs> no, that is a song uh, called Happy, uh, which was a single <laughs> a single uh, recorded and released during lockdown by Danny Elfman returning <gasps> to his not-movie score work. He, of course, Oingo used to Boingo make music as, as part of Oingo Boingo, and mm. that's his first bit of not-film music in a long time. Oh, interesting. Hmm. Weird science. Yeah. And I, I hope he makes more, because I, I love his not film music i like his film music too hmm. not that that song was particularly remarkable but yeah do, do more i like it danny elfman let's have more of that <laughs> all right okay next one don't say words you're gonna This is something of a, uh, a stab in the dark, but just a sort of weak voice, but sincere. Is it Val Kilmer? No. <laughs> <laughs> Did you think it was from his Van Morrison biopic? Or Do you something? remember the Val weak Kilmer voice. album that we've listened to? <laughs> um, no. Just... Did I pull clips from that for you? I must have done. I don't know. There is a Val Kilmer, like, he'd gone full on trying to do an album, and it's so kind of, oh, it's so sincere and earnest. It's horrible. I've heard the accusation before And I ain't gonna take any more Believe me, the sun in your eyes Makes some of the lies worth believing I am the eye in the sky Looking at you I can read your mind I am the maker of rules Dealing with hmm. Whatever it is. Is it Sauron? <laughs> I'm, I'm amazed you didn't get it. That is, uh, that is a cover of Eye in the Sky, originally by the Alan Parsons Project, mm. performed by Electric Six, oh. uh, which is a single they put out this year. It doesn't Just... sound like Electric Six. Well, he's got he's got different vocal, you know. Well, yeah, he's doing vocal ranges. style that he's not very good at, by the sounds of it. No, he's great. What are you on about? He's great. That's their attempt at yacht rock. You don't like any music, Alan. <laughs> Oh, I like the Billie Eilish. <laughs> no, you don't. She's very I good. like Billie Eilish. No time to die. I liked her first. I discovered her. I liked her just before they announced her as Bond was really disappointing. <laughs> I liked her before she was even started recording stuff. I liked her early <laughs> underground shit. That's weird. You were just into like a 14-year-old girl. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I, honestly, I honestly don't know. If I've ever heard a Billie Eilish song, <laughs> if I have, then it was never stated to me that it was a Billie Eilish song. <laughs> so I don't know for sure. Um, that was featured in the Electric Six Halloween Spooktacular. Their other, their other live from quarantine type thing. All right, next one. Right. Well, everything was fine, just as Same sweet thing. as wine, but her husband went and disappeared. Oh, Calvin. I know this. It's Tiger King. Oh. It is. It is from Tiger King. Yes, well done. Damn yes. it! I knew I recognised it. Oh, well done. It's oh, no, that's, well. That's two points. I'm that. guessing it's well. It's probably 
credited as being sung by Joe Exotic, but it's someone else. Correct. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but correct. It will be someone yes, else. Yes, it is some. <laughs> it is someone else, but credited uh, as being by Joe Exotic. So yeah, mm. that's the band's name. Let's say. Any idea what the song is? Uh, well, Carol Baskin that, is a cunt. Yeah, it's probably <laughs> something Carol Baskin murdered a husband or something very uncreative <laughs> like that as the title. I mean, that's that's the content of the song, but it's actually called Here Kitty Kitty. Oh! <laughs> uh, well God, done, Tiger uh, King. I would have remembered that if, I'd got a, if you hadn't beat me to it. I would have got mm. there eventually. Well, yeah, let's hear the rest of it. But then it got a little crazy, it got a little hazy, and the cops said there's something wrong here. <laughs> oh, here kitty kitty. Mama's got some treats for you. Oh, Alright, now Calvin, you are actually winning by one point now. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so it's all it's all to play for. It's all on this last question. Ah! Let's hear it. Stay away from me. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! <laughs> Well, that is our friend of the show, Randy Newman. <laughs> but <laughs> I honestly couldn't tell you uh, what the song is or anything. <laughs> is it from Soul? <laughs> no, he um he did another little another one of our people who's kind of made a career for themselves more as a film composer than anything these days. Um, took it upon themselves to just put out some music during quarantine, uh, during lockdown. That is a song called Stay Away by Randy Newman. Mm. Um, I did consider doing getting Wandy Newman in to do a cover of it, but then I thought, <laughs> I thought let's not repeat the same old uh, the same old shit from last year. Let's just, I mean, more than anything, his his original voice, his original recording is so so firmly in the territory of self parody. <laughs> I think we just have to hear it. So let's just hear the rest of that. Yeah, but keep your distance, please. Stay away from me. Time like these. I'm gonna be with you 24 hours a day. A lot of people couldn't stand that, but you can. Jesus, this might as well be sold to you. What a lucky man I am. What was that? Stay away from me. That is, that's, that's how you get your thing. You just sort of randomly say words, they don't rhyme, they're not in the same meter. <laughs> it sounds it's like he's recording it on his phone. It's obviously not a studio. Yeah, yeah, it, it's a really poor quality recording because it's obviously just him recording it in his home. You can hear the piano clunking. Oh god! And uh, he sounds much older than he used to vocally. <laughs> well, yeah. So that's just a bit sad. And you were have you were giving Dick Valentine shit. <laughs> <laughs> they can both be shit. It's all right. Uh, Alan, you won the quiz. Yeah. The 2020 quiz. Randy Newman for the win. Ah, well done. Congratulations. <laughs> it's a good game. Oh, dear. I mean, it, oh, it is just. Blink, blink, blink. <laughs> Stay away. <laughs> Don't be coming round here. <laughs> we got the masks on. Coronavirus. <laughs> In here. Bloop, doop, doop, boop. Awful. Uh. <laughs> Is that the end of 2020, finally? Oh, I can't wait for 2021. 
because everything's suddenly going to be really good again, isn't it? Oh, That's what everyone no. keeps saying. Because it wasn't just that, you know, the world's falling apart. It was just the arbitrary designation that we assign it <laughs> of 2020. So uh, can't wait for everything to be suddenly good again in 2021. Can I make a potentially controversial statement? Go on. I think my favourite film of 2020 is Tremors, Shrieker Island. Ooh. <laughs> that, yeah. It's you, though. You have these weird sort of... Yeah. Uh, affectations. Yeah, every <laughs> once in a while. <laughs> so it doesn't not make sense. <laughs> well, would you like a rundown of my ten favourite films of the year? And it's really a... I mean, Are this there is any? just... Yeah, the... Well, exactly. This this is an indication of how pathetic uh, an offering we've had this year. Oh, okay. Um, right, let's do it. Ten. The SpongeBob movie Sponge on the Run. Hmm. A pretty weak <laughs> animated, I mean, easy hour and a half. Number nine, Feels Good Man. That's a documentary about the guy who created Pepe the Frog, who became the uh, the sort of modern Nazi symbol for the Trump people <laughs> yeah. and everything. That was interesting. Uh, number eight, Freaky. Have you seen Freaky? It's a, a body swap movie with Vince Vaughn playing a serial killer. Oh, right, yeah, no, I've heard about it, but no, I haven't seen it. Vince Vaughn's a serial killer, and then he body swaps with a teenage girl, so you get Vince Vaughn being a serial killer, and then you get Vince Vaughn being like, oh my god, ah! You'd like it, Alan, you'd like it, Calvin. Hmm. Number seven, I've got Bill and Ted Face the Music. Mm-hmm. Number six, I've got The King of Staten Island. That was Judd Apatow's offering this year with Pete Davidson. Hmm. Just same old self-indulgent, overly long improv comedy scenes from... Judd Apatow. Not Will Ferrell style improv, but, you know, Seth Rogen style improv. Number five on my list, Palm Springs, which was really good, actually. Like a kind of Groundhog Day, but there's two of them at the same time at a wedding. Hmm. Good film. Look out for that when it finally comes out uh, properly. I I got a a screener from work. Uh, Number four, The Trial of the Chicago 7. Number three, Borat's subsequent movie film. Number two, now this is when it starts getting really good. Number two, The Invisible Man. The Lee Wanell remake of The Invisible Man. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. Mm. Did you see that in the end, Calvin? Yeah, it was great. Yeah, really liked it. Yeah. Um, I've got it on Blu-ray now, actually. Uh, yeah. Yeah, loved it. Really good film. Mm. Oh, yeah. I missed that one. And now my first one. I think this is a bit controversial, because most people don't seem to care for it all that much. I thought it was fantastic. Onward. Pixar's oh. film from the start of this year. I loved it. I think it's, I'd put it in the upper half of Pixar's output ever, but huh. most people think it's a crap Pixar film that's more like a DreamWorks film. I, I disagree. I thought it had loads of emotion and heart and imagine, imagination and loved it. Why have I never heard of it? Because you don't follow films unless, unless we force you to do them for the podcast. You have no idea that they exist. That's very true. Yeah. Calvin, any other highlights for you this year? Oh goodness, film-wise. Uh, well, Eurovision Song Contest, obviously. <laughs> we've, uh, we put we uh, yeah, we'll have a whole live episode on that. Very contentious. Did you have you one. seen that clip with is Dan Stevens? Is that his name? Yes. There's a clip with him on a daytime show, like a kind of this morning style show all right and the the woman she i think it must have been about beauty and the beast the woman and she goes to him so you know it's a big role in hollywood you must have had to beat off a lot of other guys to to get the role (laughs) (laughs) and he starts smirking and the other presenter sort of giggling and she's like what well i mean he would have to beat off a lot of men wouldn't he (laughs) (laughs) i did see that that's really funny yeah that was really good 
I'm trying to think of anything else. Otherwise, Invisible Man I really loved as well. No, Eurovision Song Contest, probably my favourite film of 2020. Wow. I mean, I'm 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 less embarrassed to have Onward as my favourite film <laughs> now, so that's good. Oh, Shrieker Island. <laughs> there we go. What a ragtag bunch of... Uh, yeah. It's been a strange year. But this, but this is great because this is what the Oscars are going to be like next year. <clears throat> Every critic's top 10 list this year is going to be like this. It's brilliant. I know there's a couple of festival like darlings, that are, like Nomad Land, as it called, these films that are coming out, but there's going to be so much weird shit squeezing through and mm. getting nominated because there just aren't. There's just not many films this year. Mm. Well, there you go. What are we looking forward to next year? Everything. <laughs> For me, it's the exact same answer I gave in our review of the year 2019 episode. No Time to Die? Bob's Burgers the movie. <laughs> That's not true, actually. For me, it's Spider-Man 3, this new Spider-Man movie. I, I am just I'm overwhelmed with joy at the prospect of what they're cooking up for that new Spider-Man movie. I, I can't wait to see whatever the fuck that ends up being. Well, that's not going to be out until 2022. No, it's uh, it's currently dated for December 2021, which I think is incredibly optimistic. Jesus. Ambitious, but uh, that is the date Disney and Sony are going with. I think that Sony have to put out a Spider-Man ah, every like, of course. twice a year because it's the only franchise they have that makes any money. So I think mm. they're just really mm. all in on it. <laughs> oh, and we're finally going to have an excuse to look at all the Scream films at uh, some point. With Scream Is that next year? Five. Yeah, well, yeah, well 20, 2022, actually, sorry. But it's it's already all in the can. Mm. Well, 2022, there, there'll be a new Evil Dead movie out by then. Evil Dead Rise. Ooh, I'm excited. Mm. And Jurassic Park and Indiana Jones. God, 2022 Ooh, yeah, Jurassic World 3. Can't wait for that. Mm. Is, Jurassic, is Jurassic World 3 not out next year? Is that No, no, it got pushed. Bloody hell. Mm. Oh well, next year, when's Doctor Strange? Is that, oh, 2022, fuck's sake. Kelvin, I want a firm answer from you. When will No Time to Die come out? Oof, mm. I'm gonna go with October 2021. Ooh, ooh, that's ambitious. Yes. When, when did they wrap filming on it? I, I reckon November. <laughs> I reckon November 2021. I would, I would normally have said that, but... The next Mission Impossible film comes out then, oh. so which I'm baffled by. Like they're still filming it apparently, but I think if that were to get moved, like literally the next day, Bond would take that slot. I saw, I saw them filming that. I saw a behind the scenes um, video of that. You know how Tom Cruise loves doing these death-defying stunts. Mm. There was a video of him going to the cinema to watch Tenet, and it was like crammed in with all oh, these yes. other people. <laughs> And uh, they probably probably spreading coronavirus around. So <laughs> I thought, like, wow, he is he's just fearless. Badumt. <laughs> <laughs> Serious question: When did they start filming No Time to Die? When was it? Was it twenty nineteen? When was it? February. It'll February be like. But that was delayed significantly from when it was supposed to start filming. Anyway, from wasn't Danny it? Boyle, all the yeah. Danny Boyle stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's 2020. It's all done. We've seen the films. It's behind us. Thank you, everyone, for joining us for yet another year of Diminishing Returns. And join us next week in the next year. Mm. See you. Go to patreon.com forward slash returns and help support the show. (laughs) Nice.
Can't go wrong with fantasy when 